Welcome back, everybody. I'm Bobby Flood. I'm here with Jordan Bruno. How's it going? We are back again for another episode. This is our historic 10th episode, right? That's right. 10 episode. I, I think I read a stat somewhere that 93% of all podcasts never make it to 10 episodes. Oh my goodness. We're top I, 7%. I made that up, but... Okay. <laughs> but hey, this in today's day and age, you can make up stats that, that was probably pretty accurate for made-up stats. You can. I'm expecting a call from CNN any moment to talk about my made-up stats. Well, they'll have to retract when they find out that that was uh, accurate. Oh, speaking of retractions, and this has really nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today, but has that's to good. Do, we need to. St- we should start with a tangent. That's has to do traditional. And for a tenth episode, <laughs> if we start with a tangent, that'd be perfect. It's true. It does have to do with what we have talked about, but the New York Times. Uh, recently, and today is uh, Monday, February 15th, 2001. You're listening to the Mind Virus podcast. Find us at mindvirus.show on the web. That's true. And also at your favorite podcast aggregator. But at the website, we have a lot of extra content to go along with our episodes. So be sure to check that out. The New York Times is retracting a story where they very quietly, wherein they claimed that a police officer at the Capitol on January 6th was killed by a Trump supporter with a fire extinguisher. They're retracting that story because that that did not happen. No police officer was killed with a fire extinguisher. The man that died is his name, Sicknick? Stipnick? Stipnick? Something like that. We should get that right. I, he deserves to have his name right. Also, Trump was uh, acquitted for the second time, so he's now the most acquitted president in American history. Officer Sicknick, and uh, he certainly deserves some respect, but uh, in his death, he died perhaps of stress related to the event. Uh, The corporate company news outlets reported that he was killed by Trump supporters who hit him over the head or something with a fire extinguisher, and that's not accurate. He did not have any evidence of blunt force trauma, but he did, he did die. And, you know, yeah, he died doing his job in the line of duty. And, um, the media just sort of smeared that and, and used his death as a, a political a reason to cast conservatives. And that's despicable, but that's also not unexpected from, from the news media, the news media these days. And it's their MO. It's how they operate. Um, but now we've got on a tangent. I, I lost our train of thought. <laughs> Talking about retractions. Do we ever have trains of thought? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Maybe they're more like herds of thought, like <laughs> animals, just like cats wandering. And then they kind of come back together at the end. Yeah. For a come, cat conference. Come together at water sources. <laughs> yeah. Strange gatherings of, of uh, thoughts. Well... We appreciate all you guys uh, following along with our hurdy trains of thoughts. Were you going to make a retraction? Uh, do we need to? I don't think so. I, you know, one of the things I put up on our 
website when I go through the podcast is I'll try to put up mistakes that we make right. during the podcast because we're just totally flying by the seat of our pants here with, with some, some pr- previous research. But it is a difficult thing to speak plainly and, and quickly and you know conversationally and get out uh, a lot of information and then have it all be accurate. So where we've made errors in uh, dates or facts or whatever that I can find, uh, we try to correct that on our website. So another good reason to go to the website is to find out what we told you that we needed to retract <laughs> or change. Yeah, and sometimes that does happen. But we, uh, if you listen to our episode last week where we talk about the sim, the symbolism in the Super Bowl halftime show, uh, we also promised in that episode that we would kind of continue that theme. Did you like the graphic I put up there? Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, the dog bowl. And the symbolism. <laughs> but uh, the, 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 this whole idea of symbolism in our entertainment and movies, books, television, advertisements, music um, is one that we both really like. And it's something that really harkens back to mythology and, and uh, allegory. And it's not something new. You know, Joseph Campbell's done a lot of research on it and others. And we get we get into a bit of that last week. So if you want to pair these together, go back and listen to episode nine, and then come back and listen to this episode, because we're going to kind of continue that theme and and hopefully couch things in a way that can be relevant to our current awful situation. Right. I think if we were going to put a title on today's episode, which I'm not promising that this will be the title of the episode, but to borrow a line from Shakespeare's "As You Like It," all the world's a stage. And Absolutely. that's, I think, what we're going to be talking about today. Bobby told me I needed to watch Truman Show again. And so we both watched the Truman Show over the weekend or in the last few days. And really a fun movie if you haven't seen it. I can't imagine anybody that hasn't seen the Truman Show. I mean, it cla- it's classic Jim Carrey. Uh, not not what's well, not I guess I wouldn't call it classic Jim Carrey, but it's one of the best Jim Carrey shows out there, and he does a great job as the protagonist. It was and filmed go, in, go ahead. Filmed in 1998, fil- or released in 1998, and at that time it was it was touted as Jim Carrey's first serious role, where he wasn't playing a really over the top clown. Uh, you know, like we see in The Mask or in Dumb and Dumber or Ace Ventura, kind of those movies that that set him uh, apart as a as an actor, as a comedian. Uh, and so this was something a lot more subdued for him at that time. And he's since gone on to to play some pretty interesting roles. Uh, he he was really good as Andy Kaufman. Uh, if you if you're interested in in Man on the Moon, I think is the mo- name of that movie. But Jim Carrey's proven himself to be pretty versatile and talented actor. But this was kind of the first opportunity he had to show that he was more than just a guy who could bend his arm around his head and scream and yell and run around a lot. Um, liar, liar was one of my favorites. It's a, yeah, that's a good one as well. You know, I, I don't know. I thought he did a great job in this show. And there was nominated for three Oscars, Ed Harris, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, Peter Weir, and Best Writing, Andrew Nichol. But uh, I think this is one of perhaps the most underrated films of all time. 
personally? It's it's not necessarily a film you'll watch because you because it's fun or you like the story or something. It's it's almost not even like it's not even symbolic almost. It's almost it's it's literal. It's literal in the sense that it's a it's a very uh it's a very deliberate commentary on yeah. on the way we live our lives, the it, way that life is controlled. It's like a bridge. Um mo- most people this is going to get into another topic I want to discuss sometime and have a friend on that's really done a lot of research on this, but most people in the world think in a linear way. They don't think in an abstract, nonlinear, symbolic, metaphoric way. They, it's not that they can't understand sim- symbols. They just are predominantly wired to think in a literal, linear way. And uh, Bobby and I are not. We fall into a minority of people that think in a different way, in an abstract kind of tangential way and it can be maddening for for acquaintances for family it can be somewhat of a uh, of a challenge to deal with people like us and w- people like us do pop up from time to time but it's it's uh, and it's not that again it's not that everybody else doesn't have the capacity to think this way they just don't predominantly think that way so the truman show is sort of a bridge into that area that a lot of high school kids don't want to go when their English teachers are talking about the themes and the symbols and the metaphors of the writing. But interestingly enough, a lot of the great literature has been produced by people who think in an abstract, nonlinear way, and therefore they are making commentaries that are maybe not on their on its face visible at first blush when going through the material. And then, of course, a lot of the great works have been sliced and diced and dissected and, and people will argue that they, they mean certain things or they, they don't mean these other things or whatever that it's, he's not, the author's not talking about this. He's talking about that. And so it, it, it it's a, it can become a, a little bit of a maddening subject if you're really trying to get to the bottom of a message. But one thing we discussed last week was hermeticism or hermetic symbolism and mythology. And, the hero's journey has come up a couple of times in our discussions and what makes the works of uh, someone like Joseph Campbell or Mercia Eliade or uh, I forgot the game. James Frazier is the guy's name who wrote the golden bow. And I put links to these on the, uh, to some of their main works on the last podcast webpage. And I guess I'll do it again today since, uh, since we're mentioning them again, but these guys studied comparative mythology and they, they demonstrate how all the civilizations in the ancient world had similar underlying archetypal beliefs. And it appears that they came from a similar place. Now this, I'm not into what I guess we'd call traditional Protestant Catholic uh, narratives about Christianity, you know, that the, we should take the, the Bible especially the Old Testament and the, the garden stories, literally. I'm not into that. In fact, I love uh, Hugh Nibley's commentary on that in the third chapter of the book, Enoch the Prophet, where he says that the biblical accounts have done more damage to Christianity than anything because they're nursery tales. They ought to be taken as uh, children's stories or metaphorical stories. He literally comes out, and I, what's funny is I don't think 
this, like one in a thousand Mormons has ever read that because we all take that so literally. He excoriates the Genesis garden account in, in certain ways. It's not that it's, it, it ought to be um, completely discarded. It's just that it needs to be recognized for what it is as allegorical, symbolic, and not a literal happening. And he also talks about the, the flood account, Noah's flood account in that way. And so anyway, uh, the point is that Mercia Eliade, Hugh Nibley, Joseph Campbell, and uh, James Frazier, even though they don't come to these, they don't all come to the same conclusion, their works provide, oh, and another guy named DeSantiana who wrote a book called Hamlet's Mill. That's another good book on the subject. Um, they basically point out that, that our society devolved, okay, I use that word, um, intentionally, not evolved, but devolved from the same great origin story, which, you know, you might call Adam and Eve or something like that. But that, I think this is really exciting. It's almost like the Atlantean legend come alive. We don't know exactly what it was when we really get, when we really start to get scholarly, academic, or, or even uh, metaphysical, religious, spiritual about it and try to dig deep into it. It's hard to come to the, um, you, you know, to it, just like anything in this world, there's no absolute proof, but it does start to vindicate people like Joseph Smith, who talked about in other ways, in a, in a more Christian way, the hero's journey and, and the idea of eternal progression and the fact that we are, you know, to, to borrow a line from, um, I think it's Sting, not the police, we are spirits in a material world. And that's not to say that there isn't element, but this world is in corruption. It's, it's a fallen world, and, and it's in what we would call entropy, and it's, it's degrading. And that there's a, there's a higher aspect to our being that transcends this mortal, finite existence. And in addition to that, there's a great war going on between entities of light and entities of darkness. Man, I'm opening a huge can of worms. I want to talk about you know, the struggle and how some people believe, you know, that we are God, that, you know, us being divine means that, you know, it's, it's all relative and you just have to fight the battle within you versus an, ex, uh, an external God and an external devil. You know what I mean? And right, so, right. so is God separate or is he the same? That's, a, that's maybe a discussion for another day. But, uh, but this, is, this is the stuff that the great metaphysical di dialogues are made of. And, and, it, and, and the Truman Show is a bridge into this world. And, and it's, like you said, it's not, it's not necessarily uh, hidden or occulted. It's a, a sort of, of a deliberate invitation to think about it. So anyway. Right. And, you know, storytelling, stories, mythology, fairy tales, all of these things, they're really how somebody like us understands the world. I could, I could never thrive in, in the math classes I took. Math really, I struggled with math because there was no allegory. There was no symbolism. <laughs> it, well, there's plenty of symbolism, but there was... It's too logical. It's it, not I, subjective enough. Right. There was nothing I could relate it to. I couldn't say, oh, the... the, uh, the I can't even think of the name now. The Pythagorean theorem. Is that a math thing? 
Uh, yeah, it's a Pythagoras. It's one of the. Few, it's a very small. What's interesting about Pythagoras is that that's like a, a small thing that he right. did. Isn't that is that the thing where you do to one side of the equation what you do to the other? No, that's a that's a different thing. Pythagorean. Okay. Pythagorean. See, see my point. Yeah, Pythagoras's theorem that he's known for is how to calculate the sides of a triangle. Okay. So a squared plus b squared equals c okay. squared. That's so. What I'm getting at is there was nothing I couldn't I couldn't look at that <laughs> and say that reminds me of when the fox uh, deceived the hair into yeah. what, well, there's you know, a little I bit of think, I couldn't think in terms of of abstract. There's a little bit of a challenge here because now now um, I'm going to have to inter introduce you to a guy named Schwaller de Lubix. Have you ever heard of uh, Rene Schwaller de Lubix? I don't think so. Okay, I have a hard I have a hard time uh, understanding his stuff, but he. He gets into the mathematics like it's not really mathematics. It's more of a, a study of number out of the one you get two. you know, it's the it's mm -hmm. the Fibonacci idea. Sure. And how, how you end up with a, a pyramidal uh, 12 out from one, which becomes three, you know. And it's not <laughs> that I don't uh, appreciate numbers. And, and I'm really I'm really glad that there are people out there who understand math because because of math, we have things like this little handheld recorder that we use to make our podcast. We have things like laptop computers and all of this awesome stuff. It's just that my brain, I the way I understand the world is through storytelling and analogy and uh, symbolism as, as well as I understand the world, which is could be argued that that's a low level understanding. But the Truman Show, the Truman Show is a really great example of there's really a lot going on in this in this little simple movie. For for the for the for the uninformed, you should probably tell yeah, the, so the, the big picture. The Truman Show is a 1998 film, uh, starring Jim Carrey, Laura Linney, um, Ed Harris, and Truman was a was a was a kid that uh, was an unwanted pregnancy, and happened to be born at the right time, uh, in order to. Uh, you know, on schedule for the filming to start. And they plucked this unwanted pre pre pregnancy, this unwanted baby, and they created a world for him to grow up in. So everybody else in, the, in, the wor in this world, including his parents, his friends, the entire town, is all, they're all actors in a TV show. And everybody knows about it except Truman. So he's raised in this, False reality. This, this pseudo-fictional world because... Right, it's not that it's not it, real. It exists. It exists. And he has a job and he goes to work and he hates his job just like you hate your job mm -hmm. sometimes. And and it's clear from from the story that he's aware of the outside world. You know, he, he knows about Fiji and Chicago and understands that people go on vacations and... Uh, I right, but he just doesn't realize he's disconnected from the... He just, that he's not in the real world. Right. And and so he's stuck in this little island town called Sea Haven. And I don't think the film ever specifies where it's at. No, but, but it's, it's in a it's in a uh, inside in a in a Right, but what in an enclosure they call the Truman Dome, right? Yeah, in a giant studio and they even make a point of uh that it's uh, visible from visible the from space. space. Yeah. It's the largest sound studio ever created. Yeah. And so the film kind of flips back and forth between 
Truman's life. And then it, it also shows the viewers, which is basically us. It shows viewers out in the real world who are watching the TV show and the way that their lives have been gripped by this this TV drama. And it's, you know, it's the world's most popular show. We pick it up in the story when Truman's 30 years old. The show's in its 30th season. And uh, it's on, it airs 24 hours a day. You can even watch him sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, the audience... It's never, never been interrupted. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's never gone off the air. And the audience uh, that it cuts to, you know, that represents us, the who's literally viewing this TV show the same way that this supposed audience is. And the, okay, and wait a minute. It, the, the audience represents us? Well, it can. It, it can you... Tell us, well, finish. Okay, so tell us your symbols. I want to tell you the my version of the symbols. And I'm later. not saying the audience only represents okay. us. Because ultimately, we're Truman. Ultimately, yes. we're okay. Truman. Yes, okay, yeah, we're Truman. But what I'm saying is that the audience, the, the television show's audience in the movie can represent the movie audience, the people sitting in the theater or you know, in their homes okay, watching. Okay, okay, okay. And the reason I say it is because they, they take on some different personalities where you have... You have. Uh, you got the guy in the bathtub. You got the guy in the bathtub. You got the the two guys working the parking garage. You've got yeah, they're the security guards. Uh, the old ladies. Yeah, the two two sisters or something. Uh, you got she the has bar. the Truman pillow. Yeah, you got the Truman bar. It's a whole bar restaurant focused on the show. And, yeah, and the two it focuses on the two kind of uh, waitress the waitresses. Ladies, yeah, and they're and, and the one the one knows all the details right, and the other right. doesn't know all the details. And. We'll we'll get into maybe the audience in a minute, but let's let's start right with the title of the show, the Truman Show. His name is Truman. That's significant. Oh yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. That's good because if you say Truman slowly, it's <laughs> True Man, and his story arc is is him discovering his true nature, the true nature of man. And his true reality. And the true reality. The fact that he lives in a false reality. Right. And then the other significant name is the name of the guy who, who the Ed Harris character who created the show, his name is Christoph. Okay. So, and, and he is a Christ-ish. Yeah, and see, I want to take issue with this. God-like. This is a false Christ, in my opinion. Of course, of course. <laughs> but in the, in, the, in the realm okay. of the show, he even later, in the show, he's... Asked the fact that his name is Christoph is important, and and he's asked who am I, and he says, "I am the creator of a television show." Yeah, <laughs> yeah he and, does. and we'll get to that scene because that yeah. scene is um, is there really two, good. There are really two, really good, but it's the w- end of the movie. Yeah, what, one thing you'll find is that a lot of times in these movies, the villain gives you the best information. Like he'll go on a monologue or he'll make an explanatory uh, discourse. You sly dog, you got me monologuing yeah. again. <laughs> That's from uh, Incredibles. Incredibles. Yeah, Syndrome. And when everybody's special, nobody is. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, a lot of times, watch, watch for what the villains say. If you're starting to get the, the inkling that you're watching some sort of intentional symbolic allegory, which, let, let, me, just, let me just pull back even further because I have to give the from the beginning of time explanations, right? In the, yep. anci- in the ancient world, there used to be a thing called festivals, and they'd hold the, they'd, they would hold these festivals on um, important, si- days. important days, days that were cosmically significant, days that uh, had some sort of a uh, 
astronomical significance. Like a solstice. Okay, yeah, like the equinoxes and the solstices. Now, uh, technically, if we want to get really technical, there were eight days, and it was the Celtics, the Celts, the, in the Celtic festivals that really kind of kept this up. And so you see, you see them on the, uh, the solstices and equinoxes. Those are called the quarters or the corners of the earth. And then the cross quarters are the in-between days, like Groundhog's Day, uh, Halloween, May Day. These, these are the days that fall halfway between the solstice and the equinox. So you have your quarters and your cross quarters. So there were eight festivals, if we're really going to get precise, that were important days because they were based on the solar calendar. And usually in these ancient cultures, the God, the great God, the true God, not the false God, the true God was associated with the sun. And so that was very important that, the, that they had a solar calendar. In the Hebrew religion, they apostatized and they turned it to a lunar calendar. And then their feast days or their festivals got all out of whack. And um, it wasn't just a, a feast or a festival wasn't just held on a single day. It was usually a, a several day period. And they, they went all out. And that was... In the ancient world, the way that time was delineated was you, you, we didn't have a series of weeks. The seven, the, I hate to tell you this, but the seven-day period is an invention of the Deuteronomistic rabbis who modified the Hebrew religion at the time of prior to Josiah in the, in the 7th century, so that's uh, 700 to 600 B.C. roughly. They changed the Hebrew religion, and the Hebrew religion was... Uh, a close analog to the best or the, you know, the truest stuff they could get out of Egypt, which went through several cycles of, of restoration and apostasy. So anyway, the, the cross quarters and the quarters, the eight, the eight special days of the year were the, were the days that um, the people would celebrate and have a public demonstration of the true narrative. The na and remember, we've talked a lot about narrative control. What we're seeing in the world today, where the state is assuming the theocratic role as narrative giver through the, through the media, the, uh, the oligarchy, it, the oligarchy which controls the state, is, is uh, taking for itself the role of narrative giver. And they are telling you what to worship and how to worship. And meaning what to focus on, how to focus, where to give your energy specifically. We're not talking about kneeling down and, and, and saying a, a, a vain repetitious prayer. We're talking about worship in the truest sense of focus of the heart and mind. So they're telling you what to worship and how to worship. And um, they, they, they assume the role of uh, ruler and teacher. And teaching, and teaching was always associated uh, uh, with the rulers as one of the main roles of a ruler in the ancient state. It was always their right to say what the narrative was. And so uh, here we have in the ancient world this, these eight times during the year where the public at large, the, there, there's a whole temple tradition we can get, get into. I hope we'll talk about that in the future. But in, in the, and and that, the temple tradition has a lot to do with learning the symbols and the narratives and the functions and on all the allegories that go along with helping an, an individual, an initiate, a Truman, break out of the Truman Dome <laughs> to see the real world. That's what the symbols and the stories are for, to help you to see that. But uh, 
not everybody went into the temples in the ancient state and got that teaching. And so the, the public at large would get an introductory lesson in the narrative via the festivals. And the festivals were always to commemorate the gods, the host of heaven, the, uh, the, the fight between light and darkness and the origin stories and things like that, right? And so now in the modern world, what we've done is commercialized those, uh, those holidays, and we go through a rigmarole every Thanksgiving or, or Halloween or, you know, every Christmas and, it, and, it, and it all is centered around what to buy. And you'll notice that in the stores, they all, that's the way, the, at least before COVID, <laughs> before when people actually went to the store, they would set up for the next holiday so they could sell you stuff. And, and, and everything became, in the 20th century, very commercialized. So 300% priced roses is not an ancient tradition for valentine's day which no <laughs> that was yesterday it was valentine's yeah, day yeah and, and and really the the uh, valentine's day is sort of a split off uh, uh, a part a part of the celtic embolic got split and um so on groundhog's day we recognize the hedgehog or the groundhog aspect of the the ancient bride's day or Bree day's day in in which is embolic embolic meaning literally um in the belly. So it was a commemoration of the pregnant goddess, okay? Uh, and a lot of people think that just means a fertility thing. And, that, and at some point, hopefully, we'll talk about a lot of this well, stuff. But Groundhog Day is another absolutely brilliant, brilliant movie. Yes. <laughs> and, and one I, oh, I love that I, one. Uh, I wrote a very long, basically, my senior film. I studied film in college. My, yeah. my final, you know, kind of. I won't call it a thesis because it wasn't a master's degree or anything, but my final project, my final paper was, was on Groundhog Day. And I, I wrote about a 40 page paper on that movie. Do you still have that somewhere? I, I wish I did. Oh. If I do, it's well, on some okay, zip so disc we, or okay, something. We should, yeah, on a zip disc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember those zip discs? It would hold like a fraction of what you can yeah. put on your SD card now. I had, a, I had about 10 of them in my backpack. Yeah. I'd carry around. You were cool if you had zip discs, man. Yeah, those, well, those I, suckers I, be, were huge. Be, being a be, being a being a film student, you film had to student, have a lot I had of, to have some storage yeah. space to carry some some video files of some of my assignments were video video related. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, what? Well, okay, so I'll wrap up here. But the um, the thing I was going to say after we got on the tangent of uh, Groundhog's Day is we've got to do an episode on Groundhog's Day simultaneously with the movie Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. Okay. That's the t subtitle that that is live, die, repeat. And then you got to watch boss level and we can, we can do right. Groundhog's Day, Edge of Tomorrow and boss level because they're all the same And I watched, uh, uh, you mentioned boss level last week. I watched the trailer for it and immediately thought of Groundhog Day and, and also these, these video games. Yeah. Uh, there's a genre of video game called a roguelike or roguelite. Okay. Either way. And basically what you do, there's one. As in L-I-G-H-T or L-I-T-E? L-I-T-E or L-I-K-E. So like a. It's oh, just okay. A, it's just a genre of video game. They kind of, they stem from the old classics uh, like um, Castlevania. You might have played on the original Nintendo. Uh, not like uh, I was thinking Prince of Persia or something. Prince of Persia is a good one. So there are these games where you die a lot. Oh, okay. And there's a there's a new-ish one called Hades where you Tomb are, Raider? Yeah, Tomb Raider. And basically you do the same things over and over and over. And each time you get, it right. you get a little bit farther in the, in the level. 
um, but there's no like save point until you finish the level. Super Mario Brothers was a good was a good one. If you died, if your guy fell into the man eating plant or or off the ledge in Super Mario Brothers, you started at the beginning of that level, and each time you'd get a little bit farther. Anyway, that boss level movie appears to yeah. be that kind of yeah. progression story. Yeah, and uh, that's not a family movie. Just FYI, sure, this is a it family didn't look program. like that on the. That, that's on the pretty. Trailer. That's pretty violent, but. Hey, uh, we're all adults here. I hope <laughs> you, you 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 can uh, go ahead and do a little uh, looking at the parental it, advisories on these. You, if we if we're recommending movies that, uh, if, if me in particular, if if I'm recommending movies that you find offensive, please comment, <laughs> like, and subscribe on the website. If you want a more family friendly movie that looks at these progression themes and these repetitive themes groundhog day is a is a great family movie bill murray right bill murray it's one of his best yeah uh and uh it's a really good show uh mcdowell mcdowell's yeah the the opposite okay so chris elliott okay so real quick back to in bullock meaning in the belly meaning the pregnant pregnant goddess right it's it is a it is a little bit about commemorating the, the great love story between the great hero and the great heroine and but she in in the Celtic tradition, she was followed around by a troop of hedgehogs. And the hedgehogs were important because they would um, be a sign of fertility. There's one thing, I've heard that it's said that there's only one animal that's more reproductive, more prolific than the rabbit, and that's the hedgehog, hmm. and uh, or the groundhog. And so they uh, this troop follows her around, and it's part of her creative mystique, and she is named uh, Bride in, in the Celtic tradition. And that's, of course, where we get our word bride. And so she's sort of the prototypical um, feminine side of the love interest. And so you can see that with the two February holidays, we've fractured into, into two different aspects of the old Celtic Imbolic holiday. And what I was getting at is that in the ancient world, they would tell a story in a dramatic fashion. What is a movie? What is a play? In the Greek um, world, we started to get the, the amphitheater and the play where you'd have the, the Greeks had a very specific way of telling their narratives and they would, they would have a chorus, which was represented the angels of the heavens, which I think is who the spectators are in Truman show, the fans. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're the, they're the chorus. And, um, then you'd have your protagonists, your your actors in the play, and you'd have your good and bad, and et cetera, et cetera. But then that that comes all the way through. And we talked a little bit about the troubadour tradition last week, how that that was a way that the esoterics, the true followers of the of the gods of light and the system of progression were able to, under the nose of the Catholic Church who had really clamped down on on the narrative they were able to tell the great story the great love story the great progression stories the hero's journeys and tell about the cosmos in that way and then it gets into the modern world and enter the 20th century and we have a thing called motion pictures that shows up but before that you know you had a lot of things develop you have um ballets and operas you know the culture modified in in such a way that the stories the narratives got told through music and song in in a more elaborate manner right up until you know in the 21st or the 20th century we get film which you're uh far more knowledgeable about that than i am however the point that i'm trying to make is that just like the ancient festivals 
we now have the great film series, the great films and the, the big blockbusters, so to speak. And they are, they are similar to the ancient festival because you, you go in and you consume a ritual meal, the popcorn you pay you pay exorbitantly for this meal that you're going to consume and that was all, the feasting is always associated with the feasts or with the with the festivals and you go in and you you observe the what was once played out in the song and dance and the activities of the festival and it's it's sort of a combination modern film is sort of a combination of the ancient festival and the ancient temple drama the ancient ritual drama because similarly to the festival when you would go into the temple you would also as part of the process consume a ritual meal for strength to get through the to the to get through the ordeal that you're going through and then you would participate in you wouldn't necessarily observe but you would participate as the initiate in the ritual drama where a play act was uh, performed uh, you know, uh, surrounding you as and you're part you're part of the story, and you'd go through the process of the hero's journey or the progression or whatever, and and come out the end, and so you're supposed to have learned something. And so, the the reason I bring up the temple is because the temple, of course, is the pantheon, the place where the gods are to be found, and that in the modern world where where the state and the and the pop culture the the media-driven culture is our is our real religion. Uh, you know, if you disagree with me on that, please comment. But <laughs> I have to say, the the state and the and the media is our is our actual religion. It's what we worship. I mean, you you may go to church on Sundays, but I'll bet you're watching the news every day. I'll bet you're giving them far more attention, far more worship. If, and so, if you want a great recent example, watch Joe Biden's inauguration. Not just the inauguration. Go find the, the coverage leading up to it and tell me that it is not a religious yeah. ceremony. You may, not, you may not recognize that and you may not uh, want to agree, but if you, if you watched that, you attended it just like any sacrament meeting or any mass or any, any christening, any baptism, whatever. You, you certainly participated and you were there to witness that event in a religious way. So the point I'm making is when you go to the movie theater, you enter their pantheon. And you are now exposed to their gods and their narrative, and then they tell you the narrative. And in some cases, in the in the past 150 years, or when did film start? 100 years ago. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, it's been good narrative. We have some really good stories that tell the true narrative, and in some cases, we have false narratives. So. What I like about The Truman Show is I believe it is a true narrative. I think it is, it is a good story, one that doesn't invert the players, one that doesn't damage the, the actual reality. It, it tells the real reality. And even Christoph being named Christoph oh, is Christ. good. Yeah, but that's, that's good because uh, we'll, get to that, we'll get to that later, why I think that's actually good that he's named, named sure. that. But go, anyway, there's my long detour on the history of, of the festivals and how this relates and how you guys are all participating in the same thing when you see these movies. It's just that you're not, you don't know it. Right. And as we mentioned, we're all Truman. We're all Truman. Um, we're all living in an, a reality that has at least elements of, of things that are fabricated and false. Yeah. And the idea here, Truman's journey and really our journey is to is to recognize those things that are false or fabricated and to see through them 
and to cut through them and to the truth. Now, being in this world, there's no way to fully 100% escape things that are fabricated or or false or uh, like a facade. You know, yeah, I there th- is a way. Well, that's called death. <laughs> right. I mean, while being alive in this world, I think of the city of Las Vegas. I, I cannot stand Las Vegas for a lot of reasons. But if you drive, just drive down the strip in Las Vegas and you've got you've got all these fabrications, you've got a fake Eiffel Tower, you've got fake pyramids, you've got the fake Coliseum, you've got uh, mm-hmm. w- what else? There's other uh, a pirate ship. It's all fake. It's all a facade. And so much of our real lives are like that. They're made to look like something that they really aren't. If you just scratch at the surface a little bit. I guess since since we do retractions here, I guess I should qualify my last comment about death. Even if you die, it doesn't mean you escape the false reality. But that's a, that's a discussion for a whole different topic. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, so we're all Truman. And we're all on a journey to discover the truth. So the movie opens with Kristoff. He's the first person you see. It's a close-up on his face. And he, he says, we've become bored with watching actors give us phony emotions. We're tired of pyrotechnic, pyrotechnics and special effects. While the world he inhabits is in some respects counterfeit, there's nothing fake about Truman himself. No scripts, no cue cards. It isn't always Shakespeare, but it's genuine. It's a life. There's a lot packed into that. He's right. We have become bored with watching actors give us phony emotions. But actors aren't just the people in the movies. Actors are also employed by NBC News, CNN, Fox News, the United States government, the CDC, the WHO. All the world is a stage and all men are merely players and each have their exits and their entrances. So maybe it is always Shakespeare. (laughs) Uh, And then, so then we we meet Truman and he's kind of talking to the mirror. And while he's doing this, it cuts to kind of interview style footage of some of the other actors in the play uh, or in the movie, particularly his wife played by Laura Linney. Laura Linney? Mm -hmm. And his best friend, Meryl, who is... Noah Emmerich. Who you... you, uh, You've seen him. He he's in a lot of movies, usually as like the sidekick, best mm-hmm. friend type. And you gotta love N- Natasha McElhone, who is the. So you have the the false wisdom, the false female divine, in Laura, the the counterfeit, and then you have Natasha, who's the true one, who she's always searching for her, the divine feminine. Right, and L- Laura Linney's character's name is um, Meryl. Meryl, and then his best friend is called Marlon. And Marlon says something, he lays it all out right in the first couple of minutes of the film. He says, it's all true. It's all real. Nothing here is fake. Nothing you see on this show is fake. It's merely controlled. (laughs) And that's it. That's it. The things that we see out in the world, the things the news tell us, the things that the government tells us, it might be real. There might be a, there might be a virus out there. There might be a, t- a threat of a terrorist attack, but it's all controlled. It's all 
meticulously controlled, mm-hmm. just like we learn in this film that Kristoff controls the weather, he yeah. controls the news, he controls the radio, he controls See, I the think, lines people say. I think Truman would want to take issue with what Marlon said there. Absolutely, because it is fake. It's a lie. And, but I think that relates directly to the real world. Sure. Because some people think the control, oh yeah, of course it's controlled. But what, what, when you really start to peel back the layers of the onion, you start to realize things like, for example, that the Gulf of Tonkin didn't actually happen. That, if, if you're uh, older, you'll remember that the rationale for getting into the Vietnam War, they'll say expanding the war, but really getting into it was the Gulf of Tonkin, right. which never, McNamara admitted to the Vietnamese, uh, it never happened. It was fake. It was faked. So sometimes, sometimes it doesn't happen. And I think, you know, I've been following, for example, the, with the coronavirus, uh, you know, I've been looking at the CDC's total death numbers because I feel like with all the perverse incentives, we can't really give any credence to whether a person died of COVID or not. Because first of all, they released their statistics and showed that only 6% of all COVID deaths actually were just because of COVID. Everything else had comorbidities. And over half of them had comorbidities other than pneumonia or flu, which is arguably not just COVID. And by the way, COVID is caused by a coronavirus, which is the second most common cause of the common cold. So as it starts to mutate and people get freaked out about coronavirus mutations, remember, they're getting freaked out about the common cold, which happens every year. And every 10 or 20 years, we get a a deviation like we did this year where we have an increased uh, severity in seasonal illness. And so anyway, I've been following the death numbers and we have had excess death and and we're talking about how controlled this is. We have had excess death by about, I'm I'm thinking about seven-tenths of a person per thousand, okay? So more than we would expect in America by about seven-tenths of a person per thousand, that's 0.7. This is the CDC's numbers, and you can go back and get a chart uh, on our very first podcast that I, that I made from their, their actual stats, downloading their database. But my, my point is that not all of those deaths were caused by COVID. Many of those deaths are caused by the overreaction, the control of the state. So it is controlled, and they are causing this, and what they're doing is causing additional deaths. People in nursing homes who are dying of loneliness, for example. Uh, we have a family member we think died because of loneliness. And also people who didn't seek out health care that they could have, that could have saved their lives. I have a friend, a guy that you know, who literally had to fly to Australia to get medical care, and it saved his life. And what's funny is some of the doctors over here don't, that he used to talk to don't even want to talk to him anymore because... I think they're a little bit ashamed that his life got saved when they told him he had to go home and die. Right. And there, yeah. And a lot of that excess death is occurring in age demographics where you don't normally see a lot of excess, excess death. So basically health, younger, healthier people. Well, and a lot of it's occurring. uh, Well, the average age of death is still really high, like especially for COVID. It's like 85 or 70, 79 or something like that. But the, there's a, a heck of a lot of the excess death occurring amongst the older population because they're the ones who suffer from this lack of um, society, lack of culture that we, right. you know, you, you know how many old, when people get older, they're like, realize what's important in their lives and their family becomes more important. And then 
you know, if you don't have a lot to live for, if, you're, if your kids are no longer coming to visit, people aren't traveling, that's going to cause a lot of excess death in the, um, in the older population because we are spiritual people. We, we have like a, a, a very energetic spiritual element. If you don't believe that, <laughs> sorry, don't listen to our podcast. Or, or try an experiment. Put yourself in a room with nothing but a television and don't see another human being for eight weeks and see how you feel after that. Because that's what's being done to our older I think population. A lot of people have already done that experiment. <laughs> well, and they you, know what it's, it There's like. a big giant caveat because a lot of us who think we're locked down, we haven't locked down at all. What we've done is we've shut, we've we've shifted the burden from wealthy people to working class people. And we've said, I need to be safe, so you need to go and make sure the grocery stores are stocked. You need to make sure the fast food places still get deliveries. And then I'll use this app on the internet and you can pick up my food for me and bring it to me because I'm staying safe. So it's sort of an opt-in cataclysm here, Uh, a mental opt-in destruction. For those who are wealthy enough and privileged enough to opt-in, for the rest of the world, for the regular working person, they can't afford to, to... live off of delivery and Netflix for a year. They have to go to work. And so you see this class division that has nothing to do with race or nothing to do with politics, but is basically wealth. And you have the wealthy class, uh, particularly among uh, government, and academics, people who never are at uh, risk of losing a paycheck. Well, I think a lot this. of retirees too, who right. you know, and, they and don't have to go are, to work, so they're, they're freaked out about it. Sacrificing both younger people mm-hmm. and people who don't have as much money yet, maybe just because mm-hmm. they haven't had a whole lifetime to accrue mm-hmm. it. The point is, though, you have uh, you have this you have this wealthy subsection of society shifting all of this burden onto a not as wealthy section of society. And basically if you're what they're saying, and in their minds, this is a deadly, scary disease. What they're saying is your life is expendable in order to keep mine safe. When the government says your business is non-essential, therefore you have to close. What they're really saying is you are non-essential. You are not essential to us. Mm -hmm. And so you, if you go away and die, big deal, Costco's still open. Right. Well, and they, uh, here we have the, uh, a little bit of the conflict over the narrative going on because the folks that are locked into their own Truman domes and love their captivity, you're going to get to that one in a minute. Sure. They, uh, they appear to be cheering on the TV show and why? Because they're, that's what they're hearing. That's the narrative they're hearing. They're, they're spending the most time exposing well, themselves to that narrative in the in the Truman show and again this and movie's, believing it this movie's more than 20 years old so spoiler oh yeah we're totally spoiling Where this he, movie if you haven't seen this movie and you want to see it when and you he, want to be surprised stop right now and go watch it when he did you stop <laughs> okay when he is on the verge of breaking out of the bubble the Truman Dome the Truman Dome Christoph gives him one last plea to stay. And it's interesting given today's context because Christoph benefits from from the Truman Show. I mean, it's his living. It's what's made him this, this uh, you know, the, 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 the news media sort of 
uh, elevates him to almost like spiritual god god guru guru yeah. uh, global faith leader yeah this uh, creative genius you know there's a scene where they bring back truman's father and there's some symbolism there and and the news reporter who uh brilliantly casted news reporter who has that perfect news reporter voice uh, it, right and he says <laughs> well, what will you do to explain the 22 year absence of truman's father and christoph just says amnesia and he goes brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> just like that's not brilliant at all that's just cliche that was, that was lame and they never you know they never really <laughs> even explain it in the film but but uh there's a lot that uh, can apply today with this whole idea of a dome and people who benefit from the that dome functioning anyway the movie opens up with truman going to work in the morning and a bomb falls out of the sky. Like a bomb is dropped on his world. <laughs> yeah. And you hear this. <laughs> it's not actually a bomb, but it's a stage light. And what was written on it? I don't remember. I but believe it was, uh, it was a piece of the Big Dipper. Okay. Ursa Major. Or was it Ursa Minor? I'm looking this at. This is it. important. I'm looking at the scene right now. So he's, he's on this idyllic street that he lives on and pause it pause it when you get there because it's important was it ursa major or ursa minor and this stage light falls from this from the sky in in truman's world it falls from the sky it says sirius nine canis canis major oh it was sirius yes sirius Ooh, that's even better as in like s-i-r yeah okay why so serious Right, because Sirius is uh, part of Canis Major, and Sirius is the the second brightest. Um, yeah, okay, that's so. I, I can't remember why I was thinking it was a, it was a Ursa, Ursa Minor. Now Ursa Minor is the Little Dipper, which right. is has has a great astrological significance in Egypt. Sirius also has a huge astrological significance in all the ancient societies, and it's always associated with the divine feminine, okay? Sirius. And it's the second brightest star in the night sky, the second brightest heavenly body. Venus is the first. We're talking about besides the sun and the moon. You get Venus, and then you get Sirius. If If I understand it right, I could be wrong. Please comment and tell us if we're wrong there. So the stage light... This bomb drops on on Truman onto Truman's world, and now when we meet Truman, he's already feeling a little bit restless. And we learn throughout the film that he's always been a bit of a restless soul. Yeah, when he's a kid, there's a great little scene where he, when he's a maybe ten or twelve years old, he stands up in class and says, "I want to be a great explorer like Magellan." And the teacher says. You're too late, and she pulls down a map of the globe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he, even from a from the time he was a kid, he had this 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 desire to explore his surroundings and to see what was over the next hill, to see what was around the corner. And so when we meet him, he's a, he's a bit frustrated and unsatisfied with his life. His marriage is fake, we know that, and he's starting to pick up on on this he's just it's not a great marriage okay so sirius is the second brightest star the planets are are brighter venus jupiter mars mercury and saturn are brighter 
Sirius, well, actually, no. Sirius is brighter than Saturn, it appears. But it's the second well, second brightest star. A star falls out of the sky, basically. Which I think is uh, comparing it to the sun as the other star. So is it the brightest star? Anyway, we'll figure this out. Keep going. Well, of course, he, he picks up the stage light and he looks up into the heavens and he's, he's confused. He's thinking, where did this come from? Well, he gets in his car and drives to work. And what does the radio say? Uh, an airplane flying overhead uh, started to lose parts. And right. There's always an explanation. Right. There's always going to be an explanation. You always get to choose what you believe. There's always some sort of a plausible reason for uh, these, like, for example, the conspiracies we've been talking about. Right. The, the narrative uh, tellers, the storytellers are always going to give us. It's a weather balloon. Yeah. Uh, so not only that, not only there's an explanation, but here in the film, see, there's two ways that they control Truman. One is with fear, and that's one way to keep him on this island. And the other is through information. And so he gets in his car and the radio says, you know, it's his airplane was shedding parts. Luckily, no one was hurt. I hope you're not thinking about flying anywhere soon. <laughs> Are you? And Truman says, nope. Yeah, it's funny when he goes to the travel agency and all the posters in there right. show airplanes getting struck by lightning. Yeah, and this could happen to you. <laughs> yeah. And, and so they use, and, the, and when he was young, he went sailing with his dad. Okay, his fake TV dad. And... And they killed off his dad. They killed off his dad with a fake storm. Of course, the actor wasn't really killed, but they killed off his dad. And they kind of blame it on Truman. And they blame it on him because he was saying, Dad, let's, let's keep, keep going. Let's keep going. I know the weather's turning. So Truman, at a young, young age, is he develops this crippling fear of the water. And he lives on an island. And so even walking over a bridge or going on a boat is, is terrifying for him. And it's helped to... S- stick him on that island even though he has a desire to travel and to see the world he's afraid plus he's he's presented with obstacles uh his wife is an obstacle you know she's she at one point she knows he has this dream of going to fiji now the reason he wants to go to fiji is because lauren who we later learned her real name is sylvia is a so he meets this girl in college lauren and he kind of, you know, they, they're, they're looking at each other, making doe eyes at each other, noticing each other. Lauren knows it's all fake. She knows Truman is, is in this false reality. She's a hired actor. She also knows that she's not the person cast to be his wife. But anyway, she returns the... the she reciprocates the, the, she, the affection she, yeah, a little the bit. the affection and... And, the, and, and there are these secretive forces are always, uh, you know, hustling her away from the action. Right. And just as Truman's going to stand up and, and go speak to this woman. Yeah. The interesting thing about uh, Natasha McEl- McElhone, La- uh, the Lauren Sylvia character, is her eyes. If you've seen a picture of her, she's got these really bright eyes. And I think this is important. She's she's definitely... Uh, you could argue whether, you know, the um, Laura Linney or Natasha character is a better looking uh, woman. I mean, it's obviously all subjective. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. But uh, the thing that's really striking about Nat- Natasha is that she has these really um, they're big piercing eyes. Piercing it's eyes. not just that they're piercing, they're focused. She's, she's right. a, there's something special about her eyes. And, and she's got a great smile. And 
you know, that draws Truman in. And so he's, he's drawn into her, uh, you know, in a very soulful metaphysical way. Yeah. He gets distracted and he kind of, he's, he's in the college band and so is his buddy Marlon. And And Marlon tries to distract him him by blowing the horn in his face and standing in him. Yeah. And then just as he's about to make his move, the girl, she falls into his lap. Meryl literally (laughs) falls on him and, Oh, I'm so sorry. And uh, it's like the sirens in the Odyssey, right, right. <laughs> almost. Or I love the scene in uh, Oh Brother, Where Out Thou with the siren. And they they lull uh, they lull the the players away, and yeah. But she falls on him, distracts him, and Sylvia Lauren is hustled away, and uh, still kept on the show. I guess they thought right because he runs into her. She they they have to have these extras everywhere because you never know where Truman's going to go. It's yeah. a whole town. And, yeah, and it's all. like there's a, there's like a flash mob almost following Truman around, and and things happen. They're all coordinated. They've all got their earpieces, and they coordinate to thwart Truman from realizing he's in a false reality. So right. so just like the the uh, fans, I, I pointed out, I think that the fans represent the angels in the heavens or the chorus in the Greek chorus, the, the good otherworldly beings. I believe that the extras and everybody else in the Truman Show movie that he sees, that they are representations of the fallen ones, the watchers or the unseen world, the forces of darkness. Demons. Demons even, yeah, if you want to call them that. But the entities here that have allied with the Demiurge, who is Christoph, the false Christ. Right. That's why I think it's interesting that he calls himself uh, Christoph, or that they call him Christoph, is because one of the attributes of Azazel, Lucifer, Satan, whatever you want to call him, the Demiurge. Demiurge literally means the people's creator or the little creator. And in the Gnostic writings, he is responsible for having fashioned the world or the cosmos. And now there's a whole heck of a lot of detail we could get into there and nuance. But um, in a way, that's accurate because the, the forces of darkness, whether they created this world or mutinied and took it over and debased it and caused it to fall... You know, there, there's a lot of metaphorical ways you can say that. So it's it's somewhat immaterial at this point. But Christoph in The Truman Show is the one responsible for having created it. And he even admits to that and says, I'm the creator. Of a TV show. Of a TV show. show. <laughs> and you're the star. And he's responsible for having, he's responsible for having placed Truman in this position of no understanding or no memory of what he was before or, or where uh, who he really is is the is the way that goes in this in the show and so in the in the ancient works uh quite often this character the demiurge presents himself as the god of this world or the true god or literally the anointed one the christos the christ the savior or the redeemer in reality these people here who derive their income from and their 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 life source from Truman and Christoph himself, they are, to use a more dark metaphor, the machines in the matrix. They are the ones that are farming the humans as batteries. Right. And they are controlling the reality of these people. 
And in this case, it's one person. Truman. And as I started to mention earlier, that the first time I saw this, I was right off of a, a LDS mission. And so I immediately thought, this is the Garden of Eden. Truman is stuck in this mm-hmm. Garden of Eden where he doesn't he, know anything. He can't know anything. He can't really progress. Mm-hmm. He has to get out of the Garden of Eden and go into the fallen world to progress. I still think that, and I think still think that that metaphor exists, but it's, there's a lot more to the, to this story. See, I would say I would position him in the fallen world, but that's okay. And another, we can talk cosmology sure. for the epi- any episode in the future, <laughs> because we're not just going to stop at 10. So in the first few minutes of this film, we see how Truman's reality starts to crack. So we've got the light mm-hmm. falling from the sky. Um, he starts to he starts to notice things that don't quite add up um, and then a, an important scene is as he's walking through this town you know like we mentioned there's extras because it's a town most of them are just on a, on a pattern and they and they walk around but others will go to the place where he works and he has co-workers and there's people who run the newspaper stand and the ice cream shop he's walking through the crowd and there's a homeless guy and he kind of bumps into this homeless guy and he looks at him and it's his it's his dad his dad has been dead for mm-hmm. 20 something years yeah and he rem- remembers his dad because his mom keeps these really great photo albums and they always are reminiscing and you know they're, they're always trying to keep him focused on the world that they've created for him so right. so he so he bumps into his dad and he realizes who it is and then the <laughs> Uh, then there's a couple of uh, important operatives, extras, that hustle his dad off and literally put him on a bus. force him into a, a yeah. bus and drive him away. Like and essentially, you didn't see what you, yeah, what you saw. There's a, you know, Jordan just mentioned that they're constantly feeding Truman with this propaganda that where he lives is amazing and his life is amazing. He he gets to work. He's in a cubicle, right? And he's on the he he picks up the phone and. To, to make a phone call to try to try to call Fiji actually, yeah, and we he never calls, explained. He calls directory assistance and, he, and he's like, "Is there a is there a Lauren there?" So the reason is, there is Sylvia there. We we didn't we got to wrap up the the Sylvia Lauren uh, angle. This anyway, she's so they, she's so important. She's the she's the driving force. This is critical. She's the driving force of all action for Truman in this movie. So he he meets her. He, in in college, in college, right? And he he's trying to get to know her and trying to to go on a date with her. Meryl is inserted into his life and becomes kind of his girlfriend, but he's not really that into it. As long as Lauren is out there, he's more interested in Lauren. Finally, they meet, and they meet in the library. Mm-hmm. And he says, do you want to go get some pizza maybe on Friday? And she says, I'm not allowed to talk to you. And he's like, Oh yeah. Cause I'm so dangerous. Yeah. He doesn't get it. And she's like, she's like, you don't get it. You don't get it. That I, they're, they're, they coming. won't let me they talk to you. They're me coming. Talk yeah. to you. And he's like, he looks around and he's like, who, what, what are you talking about? He's just playing along. And she writes down on a piece of paper. He says, well, when can we go? Yeah, he goes like, what about Saturday? What about Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? And she writes down a piece of paper now. And he's like, we have finals tomorrow because <laughs> he already blew off Marlon and Merrill earlier in the scene. They wanted to go right. party. He, he and, wants and to get his finals studying, done. Right. And uh, he already blew them off, but he's like, we have finals tomorrow. And she's like, if we don't go now, it will never happen. 
she knows her time on the show is done. She understands the reality. She understands the forces that she's dealing with. She also has a little button on her shirt, on her sweater that says, how will it end? Yeah. And he notices it and says, man, I'm, I've been wondering that myself. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a nice little, because at the time, you know, you, as the viewer, you're probably wondering, how will it end? Well, like Bobby's mentioned, if you've, if you've ever seen a movie, you got to recognize everything is intentional. The sets are in- intricately created, intentionally created to, to convey a particular message and feeling. So they, Truman and Lauren, they sneak out of the library. They like, juke the cameraman and and, because Lauren knows there's cameras every Truman just kind of goes along with it thinking it's just fun and she takes him down to the beach uh, kind of away from a lot of the cameras and and the sound even though it's still Uh all covered there's it's well one point they mentioned there's like 5,000 cameras uh, on the on the island right and uh, they go down to the beach and he's playing along. He's like, wow, this is my favorite pizza joint. And she says, they're coming. They're going to be here any minute. She starts to try to tell him. Yeah, it's all fake, Truman. It's, it's television. My name is Sylvia. I'm Sylvia. And this is all fake. And of course, if somebody started telling you that, you wouldn't immediately understand. That's, that's the crazy part is people are always trying to tell you that. Right. <laughs> and people are trying to tell him that there was the, there was some, there's a funny scene where... Uh, they kind of recap people who have infiltrated the the set, right? You got the guy popping out of a birth, uh, Christmas yeah. present. And he's like, Truman, you're on TV. I'm on TV. Guys, I'm, I did it. I did Woo! it. I'm on the Truman Show. <laughs> you got the, the parachuter coming in. Yeah. There's been people throughout his life trying to tell him it's fake, right? And and these are these are Hugh Nibley's sent ones. These are the messengers sent down, the angelos, the angels, right. who are trying to warn you the true messengers and but lauren is the first time he's really sort of listened and even noticed right and he's listening to her but not understanding and and he's saying who what are you talking about who's coming and of course a moment later and, and well they steal a kiss yeah she says i'm not supposed to talk to you then don't talk you know yeah. <laughs> her, right but it's clear that the 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 contrast is very obvious because at this point in the film, you already see that Truman's in a loveless relationship with his wife. You already know that. You you already know that at this point. And you know that at this period in his life, this is a flashback. Right. She's very plastic. And she's, I mean, they literally do these, uh, these product placement ads, which is hilarious (laughs) because she, she, you, you see how much depth there is. And, and of course, Laura Linney's a great actor, actress, right? So I'm not making a comment on no, her. No, she does a great job as this She character. does a great job as the plasticky. She, yeah. Uh, uh, and of course, the Natasha, or Lauren, she's supposed to be, or Sylvia, she's supposed to have the depth. And so they, right. they give that to her. And so, and she's got an air of mystery to her because mm-hmm. you don't, we don't really know a lot about her. Her her father, the actor who plays her father, comes roaring over the hill on the beach in his car. He grabs her and he's like, "She's schizophrenic. She's crazy. Yeah, she does she's, this with she's all trying her boyfriends." To tell, yeah, she's trying to tell Truman, "This isn't my dad." Yeah, I've never she, seen you. And he, and they haul her away. And he says, "We're moving to Fiji. You'll never see her again." Right. And that begins his that explains fixation. his fixation with Fiji, which is really just a fixation on Sylvia and this. In his mind, and in the film, she represents 
wisdom w- wisdom and truth the and divine feminine this and and this desire that he has in him to get out of this island to get right. off of this island See, this is can, can we pause here for a second because this is so important yeah um I don't know if you remember the name of the ship that he rides across the great deep into the edge of the dome. The name of the boat is the Santa Maria, which yeah, means right. the Holy Mary. Right. Okay, now wisdom in any now please don't take offense out there listeners, but any good apostasy in any good apostasy because History is rife with apostasies. If if the if the comparative mythologists that we've mentioned are correct, and the narratives that we that resonate with us so deeply, and the archetypes that resonate with us so deeply are real, true aspects of our reality, and come from an original religion, the original religion of Adam and the religion of the fathers, the story of the fathers. If that's a real thing, and if the history of the world is rife with apostasies and restorations, you know, cyclical uh, fallings away and and restorers, messengers coming back and telling us the truth and reestablishing the true narrative. If that's the case, then any good apostasy does a couple of things. It will, any any destruction of the narrative will, will get rid of the women, okay? and tell you not to talk about the heavenly mother characters or the, the heavenly wisdom characters. It will get rid of this divine feminine, and it will try to combine all the gods into an amorphous one god rather than having a, a pantheon, a, uh, a rich society of gods where, where not only are there uh, great high gods in a father and mother and then a son and a daughter, but there are no other angelic figures who have progressed demonstrating that you, Truman, true man, can also progress. And so the women here, well, well, this is a good point to point out that this is more a story for the man. Uh, you know, we don't like to get into gender stereotypes and gender roles very often, but you women need to understand the men are more blind <laughs> and the women are less blind. And women play a little bit different role. Not that you don't have to go through a heroine's journey and awaken yourself and, and connect with the divine. But, but men particularly have taken over the world and exercised dominion in this world unrighteously and don't recognize where they come from. And it's a divine womanly figure that has to enter and bring the man wisdom Men are usually, the, the divine masculine is associated with truth. And we see that in a uh, discussion of the spirit of truth. In John chapter 14, Jesus talks about being the spirit of truth. Also in Doctrine and Covenants section 93, he takes the title spirit of truth. But we know wisdom is a feminine characteristic. And it's always been feminine in these, in these older languages or, or romance languages or Latin languages where they have masculine and feminine the the words are associated with the feminine and it, this does come through in the book of proverbs which in the king james version at least we have some light there where when wisdom is associated with the feminine she is greater than rupees she is greater than pearls she is a tree of life she's wisdom is also always associated or the woman is associated with the tree of life so here you have um sirius the star which is associated with Isis in Egypt or, or the, the divine feminine, falls from the sky and sets him on the path. And then he encounters his false father, 
which which further awakens him. And then we re- realize that it has always been his search for wisdom. Remember, James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But ask in faith, and don't be like a, a, a leaf tossed upon the wind or upon the sea, right? I can't remember exactly how that, that ends in, in the epistle of James. But we see all of those elements here where Truman really deeply, um, subconsciously, he may not he may not be able to really put his finger on it at first, but he lacks that, and he he engages in this diligent search for this woman, and it is a woman, and it is a divine feminine influence, and that is hyper critical to the discussion because I think most in our audience are going to be. As we discuss this, if you come from a Mormon or Protestant paradigm, you may recognize a gap, and it and you've probably been told, "Oh, too sacred, don't go there." Well, the ancients went there all the time. Right. We, we can't. We can't. We we can't do the the women that are absent from our psyches justice by not acknowledging them and not diligently seeking for them. His journey takes on this literally abstract form when he, he buys fashion magazines, Truman does, under the guise of... My wife wants these. My wife's yeah. got to have them. Yeah. He buys these fashion magazines and he cuts out the facial parts of women, the eyes and nose, A ears, beautiful metaphor. And is trying to reconstruct the face of Lauren because, of course, he has no photograph of her. And I'm... I'm surprised that even in the universe they allow, I don't think they realize, despite all the cameras, I don't think they realize that he's doing this because he kind of does it. It's sort of his dirty secret, right? Right, it's, and, and we, all, we all have those things that we, right. even, we even hide from the unseen world, right? <laughs> and The he, things we think, the things we he tr- keep private. He, and he tries to recreate her face so he can remember her. And... You know, on that note, he also says later, you never had a camera in my head. Right. But what's funny is he keeps these uh, scraps underneath a photo of his wife in a frame in, right. a, in a trunk in the basement. Right. And again, there's that dichotomy. And it's really obvious that there's no affection between him and his wife. It's all very scripted. And she, as, as Jordan's pointed out, it's very scripted, even to the point where they're having an argument and she doesn't know what to do and just says, have you tried this new cocoa? It's tasty and, <laughs> yeah. and nutritious. And he's like, what are you saying? She has a nervous breakdown right there on, on TV. Right. And so building up to that, all of these cracks are starting to, to show up in this dome. Uh, there's the the light falling from the sky. There's the encounter with his father, who hasn't been on the show in years. There's the radio frequency uh, snafu, which, you know, he's listening to the radio and is driving to work, and there's interference, and he's, he can hear the radio uh, that all of the crew and cast are on, their earpieces, and he, and he hears... Uh, Truman's driving down the street now. He's making a left on LaFont Street, and he looks, and he sees the street sign, and he's going, what is what is this? And they quickly fix it, but there's a feedback, and the whole world screeches to a halt, and everybody grabs their ears. Later on, 
he confronts his wife, who he notices has her fingers crossed in their wedding photo. <laughs> yeah, that really sets him off. And that really, yeah, because that's a symbol of, of you know, not sure. really meaning what you're doing yeah. or saying in a promise. Mm-hmm. And he starts to notice a pattern with the neighbors. There's a, a, a couple walking a dog and every two minutes they come by and they're followed by a man with flowers and they're fo- and that he's followed by a car, the same car, uh, and yellow Volkswagen bug with, with a dent with in a the dent. fender. <laughs> and all of these, what's interesting is he tries to tell his wife about it and she acts like he's crazy. And that's an important thing. And so does Marlon. Marlon's like truth tellers throughout history are always deemed crazy, whether it's Noah warning of the floods mm-hmm. or, or Lehi in the Book of Mormon warning about the destruction of Jerusalem, or a medical doctor holding a press conference in April saying masks are not healthy. We quarantine the sick, not the healthy. Vitamin D and zinc are effective against coronavirus. And it's always the extras, those people who are either the demons or influenced by the demons or the the unseen evil in the world. Now, so I think I would qualify my comment earlier about the extras being the unseen evil. They are they are the unseen evil, but they're also the people that are influenced by the unseen evil. So everyone that's buying the false narrative becomes an agent of the of right. the of the dark side. And that's like uh that's a that's a an idea that's um explained and, and developed in the movie The Matrix. Uh, in, a, in one of those really great scenes, the scene with the girl with the red dress. I think that's... The, right. We're going to have to talk about The Matrix at some point, even though it's been talked about and talked about it and has. talked about. We still have to talk about it because it's a, it's a super important one. But, but even get, getting down to the dome, check this out. I don't know if you've seen this woodcut. It's like a, a post-Renaissance... Um, post-Renaissance woodcut. Uh, some people think it's earlier, but here you have a man poking his head through the dome of the sky looking to the machinery of the heavens beyond. I really love this, uh, this, this depiction because there you have the Truman Show in, uh, in one picture. You know, in one picture. Right. And, and so the, the dome of the sky is an element that we see in hermetic um, teachings and in, in the uh, ancient cosmologies and stuff like that. Uh, one thing that one thing would be important to point out is that you know if you come from a an LDS background which I think a lot of our listeners do you need to start to ask yourself where did we get that drawing of the plan of salvation because I think that there are significant deficiencies in that drawing it shows three worlds from left to right a pre pre-mortal then a mortal then a post-mortal world and then it, then you have three degrees of glory off to the very right hand side of the side of the picture. And I do not think that that's what Joseph Smith or the scriptures are really, we're really talking about. Uh, The Ptolemaic model of the cosmos is more appropriate, and that is one where you have the heavens uh, at the top, a middle kingdom, a terrestrial kingdom, and then a lower kingdom where the man Adam is usually found uh, lying down asleep, or similar to our woodcut here, stuck in a world where the the dome is enclosing him. And so we'll post a couple of links to, to some of these different cosmologies. I did some research on the, the Mormon plan of salvation drawing, and the earliest evidence of it I can find is a 1950-ish 
50s-ish book craft drawing where you have a man and a wife in a car and they're on a highway and uh, you can either go to the celestial kingdom through, through a gate that has temple marriage or you can go to the middle kingdom or you can follow the, the path that has cigarettes and drinking on it and in, into a fiery place called the telestial kingdom. <laughs> and uh, it, it's kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a, an invention of the correlation movement of the 50s and 60s that we've been hanging on to. And I think it's been changing. I think they're starting to change change that today, but there, uh, someday we'll get into some of the deficiencies in that. But anyway, th- this dome, this idea of the dome of the, of the world enclosing mankind and needing to look beyond the dome is an ancient motif and shows up in a lot of works. Truman, Truman's starting to wake up and he's starting to notice the, the scripted nature of things around him. He confronts his wife about it, and at one point she threatens him with this product that she this slices, dices, <laughs> and peels. Are you gonna slice? Are you gonna slice and peel me? What does he say? Yeah, you're gonna slice me? You're gonna dice me? You're gonna peel me? It's so versatile. <laughs> Which is, you know, she she had this ad before. Look what I got at the store, and it zooms in on this this kitchen utensil, and she picks it up and brandishes at it at him, and she, he grabs her and kind of turns her in a in a chokehold and she screams do something yeah and he lets go of her and he and he says what did you say <laughs> nothing i didn't say anything you said do something who are you talking to <laughs> who are you talking to and th- and th- this was the same scene where she just sort of defaulted to the cocoa ad and he's like yeah. who are you talking to yeah his best friend Marlon has to break in and, and shows save up her, and the, she flies into his arms, yeah. and and then she says, "I can't work like this; it's unprofessional." <laughs> yeah. So she she breaks she breaks. She has her character. nervous breakdown. Yeah. And she's removed from the show, and 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 they they, they decide they're going to plan a a breakup, and he she leaves, and and you and you don't see that in the in the movie. They just say, "Yeah, we're we're planning on on she's leaving Truman, and there's going to be a new love interest introduced." You see her in the in, she she's a co uh, coworker at the insurance agency, right? And she's a uh, a young pretty girl who immediately she Makes knows her role, yeah. and so she immediately, and he starts to respond a, a little bit, and he's kind of distracted by her because she's kind of she's a striking looking person, and but underlying all of this is. Truman's desire to find Sylvia. Sylvia. And so he tries to call Fiji. They say he tries to go to Fiji. They say nobody by that name lives in Fiji because he calls, you know, directory assistance, which of course is just another actor. Right. He's in the he's in the uh, travel agency and he wants to book a flight for Fiji today. And the travel agent's like, oh, we're all booked out for two months or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and so at this point, there's an important dialogue that takes place between Sylvia and Christoph. So Christoph goes on to a TV uh, show. He, he's, he's a, a recluse. He's, a, he's like a, a mystical guru figure now at this point, but he finally gives an interview to this prototypical reporter, which right. I, you're, I, I hadn't really noticed but you're right. He's he's great. He just is a I th- teleprompter reading. I would have to look this up. And I think yeah. the actor is also the same person who does the news anchor voice in The Simpsons. It's just so canned. It's that perfect. Yeah. 
stupid news voice. Yeah, it's just so canned, and it's and he and he has like no, there's like no flame of intelligence. It's just he's he's like okay, and next, and of course, and oh, brilliant, and da 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 da. Okay, right. and we're getting through all of the pre-planned things that I'm indoctrinating into your head right now, but on, not understanding what I'm actually doing. On the show, they take some calls from viewers, and the first guy says. And he's deliberately meant to just sound like an idiot. He's like, so I hear you got a lot of cameras on that show. <laughs> he's like, yes, we have 5,000. But remember, it all started with one. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of cameras. <laughs> and then Lauren or... Well, uh, they, they have a f- caller that, that didn't pick up. And, and, yeah. they, and they say it's The Hague. What do you make of that? Why do they have a caller named The Hague? Because The Hague know. is the International Criminal Court. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and I'm not sure why. I, I that I that I know. I thought that, you were going to be able to explain that to I me. I noticed that, and I couldn't think of anything. Well, the Hague is where they try these war criminals, right? And the and the, maybe the point is that they are just uh, AWOL, absent without leave from this. They they they're supposed to call in and hold Kristoff accountable, but they're not holding the true the true actors in the world accountable. That maybe that sense from a sense of. The, the human rights violation just on Truman alone are remarkable. Yeah. And that's what the next caller, who is Sylvia. But I mean, it's, it's odd because they, they didn't do it unintentionally. They literally, the, the Kent Brockman voice, right. the, the uh, next caller from The Hague. The Hague, The Hague, are you there? I mean, they, they make a point right. to say this. It's and not what, unintentional. And remember, if it's, not on the page. It's not on the stage. It was in the script. And this script went through a whole bunch of revisions. So that, that stayed deliberately. So that's a good point that maybe it's a little hat tip, a little hint that that the people who should be holding Kristoff accountable are not holding Kristoff accountable, which again has a lot of uh, implications today. They're actually working with Kristoff. That's the implication. Right, right. <laughs> and if Kristoff is who we talked about, it's even more that uh, it's subject matter for another episode right <laughs> lauren calls in she gets through somehow yeah it's a movie. miraculously yeah <laughs> which is always and miraculous anytime you get wisdom in your life that is true mirac- that's she, true. She's miraculous and christoph immediately recognizes her because she after she left the show it's it's kind of implied that she's made a made it her life's mission to End the Truman Show to free Truman, and so in yeah, the background not, it's not of her to end home, the show; it's to free to Truman. free Truman. Yeah, in the background of her ho- of her home, there's like picket posters, you know, free mm-hmm. Truman, and and because there's a whole movement. Kristoff says, you know, just because you batted your eyes and stole a kiss and some no, he says stole some airtime. He yeah. turns it into he 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 puts it on her, yeah. right? Says you doing this for personal gain? Not I'm not doing this for personal gain. I'm doing this because I care about Truman. You know, he mm-hmm. inverts their concerns and yeah. their roles. He says, just because you, you stole some airtime, you think you know him? You think you know him? He's like, I know him. I created him. I watch him. And he says something very important. And it's really, it's really the, it's the point, it's the turning point in the movie or, or, or it's the, it's the thing that the movie itself or Truman's story hinges on. And yeah, let me, let me back you up here because uh, Mike Michelson, our Kent Brockman character, the news reader, he starts off and he says, Christoph, let me ask you, why do you think that Truman has never come close to discovering the true nature of his world until now? Christoph says, 
We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. Now that is true, is and it not, Bobby? There's a that, there's a great. So when he says that, the film cuts to the two guys in the parking garage. They're kind of yeah everyday Joes. One of the guys got like a flat top. And he's nodding profoundly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and these but, are the guys at the end. We're going to... Right, yeah. brilliant ending. But that, that, is, that is wisdom. We accept the reality that we're presented with. So ask yourself, what reality are you being presented with? And why and if, if and why are you accepting it? Right, and then, and then we get Mike Michelson... The Hague for Christoph. Hello, The Hague. All right, we've lost that call. Let's go to Hollywood, California. You're on True Talk. Sylvia says, hi, Christoph. I'd just like to say one thing. You're a liar and a manipulator, and what you've done to Truman is sick. And, and then, she he's, goes, then he gets into that thing that goes, you were just talking about, Bobby. Goes, no, goes, no, 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 it's fine. I goes, want to talk to this. She goes right at him. Yeah. And it's clear, it's implied in the film. See, I think this film might have been or could have been an, another hour long. I feel like... Maybe from stu- maybe this I, th- I I should have done some homework on this. It seems like at the time it was sort of a risky movie. People weren't quite sure if it was going well, to. Well, it's succeed, always risky right? to do. It's always risky to tell uh, to try to tell uh, a, a true narrative. It's always risky to try and put a message out like this because it can flop. Uh, you can be too. Um, it's it's a fine art to to tell an allegorical story so you can you can be too explicit you know and then it loses its mystique and so right. i thought they did a really good job i thought i thought the fact that it was the length it was left you wanting and you know maybe that's just me i realize that i don't think like everybody else but i really think it was it's a masterpiece of a show in my opinion a couple other things with this dialogue that are, are we should point out first of all First of all, um, Sylvia comes on and she says, you're a liar and a manipulator. And what you've done to Truman is sick. And and Christoph says, well, we remember this voice, don't we? How could we forget? The news guy interjects at this point. At this point, uh, Let's go to another call. He wants to silence the voice of dissent. Oh, good point. Which is the job of the media right now. They good are point. They are gainfully employed in silencing voices of cons- of dissent and truth not just dissent but truth tellers wisdom truth yeah good point nice nice catch there bobby now christoph says no 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 it's okay so he wants to monologue he wants this opportunity to to prove that he is the voice of wisdom he's going to tell you yeah the actual reality so and why it's why it's good what he's doing and he lectures her just because you stole a little bit you know, you know What's good for him? You think you're in a position to judge him. And she says, what right do you have to take a baby and turn his life into some kind of mockery? Don't you ever feel guilty? Okay, now the word mockery is intentional there. Because what is a mockery? A mockery is a play act, a mock up. Okay, we, right. we often think, and this, this word has a direct correlation to some things that are said in the Mormon temple ceremony. And so since we have predominantly LDS audience, I think, let me point out that the temple itself is a mock-up. It's a blueprint. It is not the actual thing. And so when God says he will not be mocked, it's very, very important. You understand what that means. To turn someone's life into a mockery would be to just be going through the motions, to be a hypocrite, to be an actor, and only 
it's and a only count, a counterfeit. Yeah, the word hypocrite in Greek literally means pretender or actor. In okay, the, in the art world, we talk about mocking something up, meaning it's a it's a rough draft of of a concept. It's it's, it's not the it's, actual. It's not thing. the actual thing, mm-hmm. and that was what play actors, you know, with Shakespeare did. They were mm-hmm. they were they were. And that's what, the, that's what the temple drama or the ritual drama or the festivals, the things that were enacted in the festivals or the feasts, those stories are mockeries or mock-ups or uh, ritualistic narratives teaching us about a higher reality. And so anyway, don't you ever feel guilty, she says. And so Truman's life is a literal mockery. It is an imitation, a counterfeit of a real life. Right. Don't you ever feel guilty? He says, I have given... Truman a chance to lead a normal life, which is a blatant lie. It's not real. It's it's a mockery. She just pointed that out. And he he again he he just flips her words and says, I'm the one that's normal. Mm-hmm. And he that's says, a very common tactic to, to says, accuse to accuse everybody else of what you are doing. And then he says, the world the place you live in is the sick place. Sea Haven, that's the name of the town Truman lives in. Sea Haven is the way the world should be. We see that all the time right now from government and media and Hollywood. And I do think at a high level, the forces of darkness want to achieve transcendence of the entropy here in this fallen state by controlling the the entropy to their benefit. There's a movie called Transcendence, I think is really important. Johnny Depp, have you seen that? Mm-mm. Well, that's another one we could talk about, but uh, it would be a different topic of the, the motives and methods and uh, the objectives of those who uh, think there are rulers here in this world, the ones, the ultra rich, the oligarchy, using technology to overcome the... Um, physical limitations of this fallen world that they have co-opted, mutinied, taken over. So anyway, you you find different groups of people here in this world. You find three groups, actually. You find Nibley's sent ones, the messengers, the wisdom figures, the truth tellers. They're in a very small minority. You find everybody, all the, the regular Joes, and then you have those, uh, a smaller group of demonic influences or, or the forces of darkness that want to live off of the energy or the life force of the, the Trumans, right? And, that, and we kind of talked about that. And then, of course, you've got the, the analogy to the batteries in the Matrix and the machines, right? So the next statement that Sylvia makes is, you know, he says, Sea Haven is the way the world should be. Sylvia says, he's not a performer, he's a prisoner. And if you've read the scriptures ever, any, anybody from any denomination, you know how it talks about captivity here. Being, being uh, part of the condition in this world is captivity. And that's what the Savior is supposed to have overcome, is the captivity caused by these forces. Christoph's response to that is, he could leave at any time. If his was more than just a vague ambition... If he was absolutely determined to discover the truth, there's no way we could prevent him. I think what distresses you really, caller, and, and he, he knows her he name, unnames her, yeah, unpersons her. Yes. What I what I think what distresses you really, caller, is that ultimately Truman prefers his cell, as you call it, and that is the crux of the entire film, right there. 
because Christoph is right. Christoph is right. Up to this point, Truman has had this vague, I got to get off the island. I'm thinking about doing something. When he tries increasingly desperate um, attempts. He tries to drive across a bridge and they, they stop him. There's another little fun scene when he, he, he crosses the bridge and then there's a leak at the power plant and they stop him. And they the have to sheriff, tackle him, yeah. The sheriff says, you got to go back. And and he says, "All right, thank you." And the and the actor breaks character and goes, "You're welcome, Truman." <laughs> yeah, and it's like, "How did you know my name?" And he's like, "Truman." And you can see you could see uh, Meryl, his wife's in the passenger seat. Just her face goes pale. You know, you know, she sees that this is all unraveling, mm-hmm. and Truman is figuring it out. This is true. This is a true statement that Christoph makes because each of us has to be determined to discover truth and have something more than a vague ambition or else like Truman, we will spend our life being pushed around by powers that control us, whether we know it or not. Right. And this is happening all around us. I mean, those of you that have tried to talk to people that are, that have had some sort of an awakening in your life, and you know, you try to bring some light to a subject and you'll get all this pushback from the other actors on the on the world stage. It's like, wh- why, why is there such a negative response when you try to explain that the reality is not the way it seems or that the mainstream has a problem, you know, or, or the, ma- the masking thing, for example? Why is there such pushback? And, and why are people who are seemingly good people, you think that, I, I, this is something that's really bothering me right now. I, you would think that there would be droves and droves and millions and millions of people who are just like, I've had enough. We're not going to wear these masks anymore. We're not going to sit here and listen to you. And I think it's, I think it's developing right now. The, the slowly, slowly, but like this, this whole idea of the election, I really do think there's, there's, you know, 60 million, maybe 80 million Americans out there going, no, I'm pretty sure that that was stolen. That, that there was copious and clear evidence of fraud. Uh, you know, maybe it's 50 million Americans, but they're, they're sitting here looking at everybody else going, okay, what what does the script call for? Is this the revolt time or is this the sit down and shut up time? And that's not what Truman does. He has to find wisdom. Truman is not, uh, Truman is not looking around for the script. He, is, he has a splinter in his mind, to borrow the phrase from The Matrix. He has... He has wisdom already inside of his head. Wisdom has, wisdom has come to him. The divine feminine has come to him and put inside of him a fire that he cannot extinguish. Right. And he, all of the, all of the things that sort of in the past have, have worked to quell this desire in him to get out, those things aren't working. And the, you know, the Kristoff and the crew start to sort of panic. They're not quite sure what what to do because he starts. He realizes that if he can start acting unpredictable and erratic, they have trouble keeping up with him. Uh, and and so the and he even the, states that in the show. He tells his wife. He's like, "Look, see when I'm spontaneous, right? Yeah." And and he dri- he he drives uh, like he's like, "Let's go to Fiji now," you know, and uh, and then. Is, they they decide it's too expensive to go to Fiji and you know the airports are closed or I can't remember what happens but they decide to go to New he, Orleans he says let's, let's go, go to, to Chicago Orleans or New Orleans Chicago. yeah and, and so they have to drive across the bridge and so the first thing that happens is all the cars come out and block their path and then there's a traffic jam and so then he goes backwards goes around the roundabout a few times and then comes back to the same road and it's all gone and he's he like says, see no traffic no so traffic he, he knows 
he he's unable to deny what he sees right in front of his face. He's unable to deny the absurdity and the obviousness of it. But he's now changed his. The only point is that the only thing that's happened here is that he has been willing to believe it because he can always go back to sleep. He can always do what Cipher in the Matrix does and says, you know, put me back in. Make what's funny is in that scene between Cipher and the agent Smith, he literally asks to be put back in as an actor. He says, "Make me someone rich and famous, but not too famous or not n- not too much, but like an actor." He literally suggests that he become an actor and he he's eating he's chewing on that steak saying, "I know it's not real, but it tastes so good, you know." And in a very significant way, we choose which reality we would like to, to believe. I, I, I've had, we've talked about having conversations with people who are unwilling to look any further because they recognize that if they find a truth that they, that's uncomfortable, they are not sure how they can grapple with that. They how would have un- to change. How do you unknow the truth once you see right, it? Right. The, the problem with confronting the truth is that Good, honest people, when they really do confront the confront the truth, recognize they have to change their actions. They cannot continue onward, and, and so it's it's kind of an interesting dilemma. I've I've literally more than one person, and I think in a lot of cases I'll recognize when people throw up those roadblocks and say, "Oh no, but no, no, we can't go right. You can't cross that line because." And you can see all the dominoes in their mind that would fall over if they really confronted that truth that you're talking about. One, uh, one recent example, I, I, went to, <clears throat> I went to a restaurant and there was a sign that said, mask required while standing. <laughs> okay. And of course, the restaurant is full. We have... We have of people that were it, not masked indoor. I guess it wasn't full, but it, it was because the restaurants here locally are still required to tape about off 50 percent, 50 percent or so of their tables, which can't be good for the health of the, the financial health of the restaurant. But I, I usually go through the drive through for this instance. I was I went inside the restaurant. It's full of people at tables without masks talking and eating. And I stepped up to the counter to order. It's kind of a fast food order and sit style restaurant and I was about to place my order and the girl behind the counter and just a high school girl so I'm not going to give her a hard time <laughs> but she says I'm sorry you can't order without a mask I said oh I don't have one well, I can't let you order so I pull my shirt up over my nose and mouth and I said is this better does this make you feel better and and then somebody else I don't know if it's a manager or whatever says it has to be you know an actual COVID mask, which I don't know what that means, but because everyone will wear whatever, <laughs> right? With a cloth mask, surgical mask, N95. And I just said, at this point, in hindsight, you know, I could have made a show of it. I could have sat down on the floor and said, is this better? I'm now sitting. Can I place my order on the floor? I could have gone and sat at an empty table and shouted my order over. And But again, I didn't want to give these girls a hard time. So I just said, okay, I'll go somewhere else. And I just, and I left. But the reason I bring this up is the absurdity of the situation is plain. It's plain as day right in front of our eyes. And yet everybody in the restaurant, everyone else standing in line, dutifully has their mask on. And then they will sit down and they will 
dutifully take their mask off so they can eat and converse. Right, and nobody will confront you except for the poor girls behind the counter at that point because they're required to confront you. But everyone else knows, everyone, even them, they know it's absurd. In fact, I had a similar situation occur to me at a restaurant where, uh, you know, they were making us wait outside to be seated. But then when we came in to wait for the hostess to take us to our table, which I kid you not, was eight steps away from the hostess table, they started to give me a hard time about wearing a mask. And they literally said, well, it's the health department. We'll get shut down. And And I'm like, okay. And I went through the whole rigmarole of pulling my uh, coat up over my face and saying, I'll wait outside. I literally said, I'll wait outside. And they said, we can't have you do that. The health department could be spying on us. And th- right. when, when they went to seat me, it was eight steps away. And so... Um, I've, got a qu- uh, I've got a friend that owns a, a restaurant, a small independent right. restaurant. And he, he says, the health department requires us to put this sign up. He says, I'm not... in." enforcing it in there because I don't want to deal with that. I'm busy mm-hmm. enough. So but, that's sort of a it, lie that the health department's really... But no, the, the health department is out there finding people. He, oh, okay. he had heard of instances Even if he, in if the he restaurant doesn't enforce circles. it, if he doesn't like... Is it, they're finding he, them he, if he doesn't have the sign or if he, if he doesn't enforce it? If they don't have it. the sign... Okay. Is, but in, in as far as not enforcing it, I'm not sure. Because I'm sure that, that that has kind of taken on a life of its own, and there are rumors in the circles about sure how, how in seriously the, in they the have to take it. the back of the mind of this poor high school girl that's making... She's just following the rules. Seven fifty an hour. In the back of her mind, she might have thought, this guy could be a, a health department plan. Oh, yeah. You know, testing us or whatever. Yeah. I'm not from the health department, people. Well, the ATF does that all the time to federal right. firearms licensees. They'll try to go into gun stores and buy stuff. And those guys, right. like if you want paperwork done right, if you ever want to see a piece of paperwork get done right, go to a gun store and buy a gun because they make darn well, sure right. that it's accurate. They tried to do that at gun shows too. Like some, I think some anti-gun activists went to these gun shows that are held in like conference centers, convention centers. Yeah, they're trying to get and try to do it. And they could not the get anything because it's the same thing. Yeah, uh, these aren't the these aren't these these well, aren't black market right. gun shows. They wouldn't be advertised on billboards if they were. <laughs> but my point is that there is so much absurdity happening, especially these days, especially right now. And yet our our behavior isn't changing. We're instead, we are the actors in the town mm-hmm. that Truman lives in, holding up the newspaper that says, Sea Haven is the greatest place to live in the whole world. Look, right. Truman. Right. And see, people will debate you online. There's all this vitriol on Twitter and in the comments on uh, news stories, like especially on KSL, which half of those I think are created by a CIA troll farm, an AI operation, or a maybe not even AI, maybe just a literal troll farm. And they're always statist comments, mm-hmm. and and they're always really antagonistic towards the people who are speaking out for for our natural rights and our individual freedom. But what's funny is you'll go into these situations in the restaurant, and it's the the poor girls behind the counter that I've you know I've I've made my I've made my uh, plea to logic to them, and then I give up because you know look they they aren't the decision makers. They're innocent. You know they're innocent here. And they're just trying to do what they're told and trying to avoid getting fired or getting a big fine. But what's interesting is that nobody in the restaurant is going to sit there and shout at you. I mean, I guess in some cases I've run a, I have heard stories of of really vitriolic, angry um, mask wearers saying things and then stomping off. Right. But you're not gonna, you're not likely to get into much of an argument there because most of the actors know they're actors. Most of the people there realize they're like, yeah, well we're. 
I'm not wearing a mask, especially in a restaurant. Like I've heard, I've heard tales of people in Costco getting shouted at by old women, angry old women who are wearing right. masks and because I've seen everybody's some videos of stuff like that. Right, but in a restaurant, you have this this uh, juxtaposition of the non-mask wearers and the mask wearers. So it's such a blatant, frank absurdity, and I think that's what you're pointing out. It's right. it's such a such a contradiction that that everyone just has to sit there and act like an extra and be passive. That's the best they can do because it would be insanity. It would be literal insanity to stand up and tell the man that's standing at the counter that he needs to put his mask on and that he's being a a terrible person for not wearing a mask while he's standing up when they're all sitting down, not wearing masks, eating that 10 feet away that, yeah, that can't, that that's so Frank, so in your face that it, it, I guess it could, it's conceivable it could happen, but I don't think it happens for that reason. And so that's what makes your experience and my experience so uh, obnoxious. It's, a, it's, it's frustrating because, it, bring it back to our, our film today, I think what distresses you really, caller, is that ultimately Truman prefers his cell, as you call it. I'm afraid that too many of us prefer this reality that we are creating where we can be controlled in the name of safety. If we'll just go through these ritualistic practices of wearing a mask and staying away from each other and believing what we hear on the news and and ceding our own autonomy and our own common sense to the government, to the to the news media, to, to the masses. To the, to the to the to the mindless people that are then that, Love, love their cell. Then we'll be happy. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. You'll also know nothing and you'll be happy. Well, right now we're at an inflection point in history where perhaps we're going to find that out, who the real players are. You know, it's interesting in video games you have, uh, and and video games are a good uh, analogy here because you get multiplayer video games. It's not just the one hero, Truman, but you've got multiple people in the game. And uh, my understanding is you enjoy these massively multiplayer online games, right? right? So you have a, you have a thing called non-player characters Mm -hmm. and most of the characters, well, if it's a massively multiplayer game, a lot of the characters are real, but in, in most video games, most of the characters are generated by the even in the, the MMOs. AI. Even in the MMOs, there's plenty of NPCs, non-player characters. These might be quest givers or vendors where you can buy and sell things, uh, auctioneers where you can, if you want to sell things to other real players, you can use an auctioneer mm-hmm. to place these things up on the auction house. But the non-player characters are are there, and they have a limited set of dialogue. If it's a quest giver, he might say like. Hello, adventurer. Mm-hmm. How are you? I've got mm-hmm. a. I'm in a pickle. My so, dog wandered off into the <laughs> cave, and I'm not. I'm too too scared to go into the cave. Can you go rescue my dog? I'll give you some gold. Right, and if you say to that guy, "No, I'm not really interested. Can I buy your car?" Right, you he'll have, go back. To, he'll have, go back to his script, and so that's. This is similar to the actors, the the extras, right. the people who are not uh, some of the role players. Well, in in in, in the Truman Show, when he you know, obviously he doesn't have a script, but when he acts erratically, the actors, even his best friend Marlon, doesn't know how to act. Right, and this is where you get Lauren or Sylvia who says, I'm not supposed to be talking to you. Right. Because she doesn't have a script for him. 
the uh, so this phone call with Sylvia, she ends up by saying, "You're wrong," because in well, response to but let me let me just jump in here because this is the question: Who are you really? Are you an actor? Are you a non-player character? And a lot of the, and this is for God to judge. Okay, and ultimately, I think there is divine potential in everyone, but. Unfortunately, it appears that a lot of the folks in this world are not going to catch the fire of wisdom, and they're going to prove themselves to be non-player characters. And, of course, Sylvia, or wisdom here, the divine feminine, she is definitely optimistic. And that's where you jump in and you read her she says, line. So Kristoff says, Truman prefers his cell. Right. And she says, that's where you're wrong. You're so wrong, and he'll prove you wrong. And she slams the phone down. And then the <laughs> press the press steps in with its role and says, well, aside from uh, heated comments from a very vocal minority, right? it's been an overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive experience. Yeah. And Christoph says, yes, for Truman and the viewing public. Well, Truman's in the middle of a of an emotional and a spiritual breakdown. So I don't know if you can say it's a positive experience for him. His marriage is falling apart. Well, at the end of it, it is. Right. But at this point, yeah, where it's been a positive experience is for Christoph, who is who's this high priest. It's he's Doctor Fauci. He's 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 this high priest of yeah, he's, of he's everything. Brian now. Williams, NBC News, or something, right? Or, or worse than that, uh, you know, Bill Gates or or Jeff Bezos or some he's he he is the oligarchy. He worse than that, he's the demiurge. He's right. the crea- he's the false creator. Well, there's a scene where Truman tries to go to Chicago. He's trying to get out of town any means he can. He buys a bus ticket to Chicago. And he gets on the bus and there's all, there's all these actors and there's a little girl who says, mommy, isn't that the guy from T? And she gets shushed <laughs> up, right? And Truman sits down in the back of the bus and he's excited. And, and then, of course, the, the bus is, the bus might be real, but it's, the guy can't drive it. Yeah, he's the bus actor. driver doesn't know how to. And a guy the from clutch. the bus station comes on and says, we've got to break down everybody off. Well, the first, th- yeah, first thing is he grinds yeah. the gears for about a minute. It's <laughs> like he can't get it. Like the, the, the point is Truman, Truman doesn't even like to drive over water. So he, ha- he, he always gets to, it's, it's almost cruel because the, the producers of the show are putting him in situations where they're, they're, they know he's going to. They turn, know he's going to chicken out. Turn out. Like turn at back, one at around. one point, uh, there's an island or something where uh, there's a ferry that goes over to the island, yeah. right? And his his boss gives him a uh, an insurance, insurance contract. Guy. His boss gives him an insurance contract. He's supposed to go to the island. All he's got to do is hop on the ferry and go get some signatures, right? And he can't get on the can't boat. He it. can hardly walk out on the wharf to to get to. He the, actually has a he has a, a panic breakdown. attack. Yeah. He, he 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 falls down to his knees and has to like crawl. So so after land. the so for him to get on the bus is a big step because that's going to drive over the bridge, and uh, later on he does end up driving over the water with his with his wife Meryl. But this in this scene, so everybody gets off the bus. Truman's after the they've la- ground the gears. And, <laughs> and yeah, it's like, Truman's, oh. Truman's the last one on the bus, and the bus driver stands up and he looks at him, and the bus driver is an actor who has a conscience. Yeah, he he knows what's going on with Truman, and he looks at Truman. And he says, "I'm sorry," and you know he's not just talking about the bus. Yeah, 
He's saying, I'm Wait. sorry, you're stuck in this dome. And he's like, I we're can't all drive in the bus. On it. He doesn't know how to drive the bus. Yeah. Later on, they have him driving the ferry, yeah. and the ferry doesn't work. Because and he says, I don't know like, how. I'm an actor. He goes, I don't know how to do this. I'm just the bus driver. And then Kristoff <laughs> is mad. He's like, why is there not another boat on, on the water? And one of the production assistants says, they're all actors. They're all actors. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's, they're all actors. It's all fake. You can't go... You can't act spontaneously, Kristoff. These people can't go get on a boat or a bus or whatever because they're actors playing a part. Right, and, and in a way, that's a that's a really uh, accurate depiction of the the forces that claim to control this world. They only have the control we give them. Absolutely, and and, and in the end, they're going to be destroyed anyway. It, they they have they're not capable. They're they're incapable of holding back what's inside of you. And Christoph admits that. Yeah. So Truman now lives alone. His wife's left him. He goes down to his basement and he goes to sleep down in the basement. In a classic Ferris Bueller moment, he covers a dummy, a snowman dummy with a blanket <laughs> and sets a recording of him snoring. And he escapes the his basement remember there's cameras everywhere but he escapes the basement by digging a hole out of his closet and up into the yard and he escapes and they don't know where he is he he gets lost in the sense that the producers of the show don't know where he is and they have a meltdown they completely panic and it, to the point where the entire casting crew is locking arms. Well, the first thing, thing they do is they cut transmission, which is huge because this is the first time. Because Truman is no longer to, well, to be found. Before they do that, they, oh, they have, call, they call they over the friend. Yeah, the Marlin goes over with his six pack of sponsored beer. Yeah, Truman, where are you at? I know you're in here. And he opens the closet because uh -huh. they they're like, there's there's no way he can be in. He, he, he there's no way he left the house. We would have seen him on the stair cam. So they open the closet and they find the hole. And Marlon climbs up through the hole. They cut to the lawn cam. Okay, wait, wait, wait. what was there's some at some point? There's some point that what happened right before this? Because there was a point where it was the breakdown of it was the breakdown of his wife, right? Right. It, that's and what is that? What at some point he realizes after kind of during all that he sits with Marlon on the edge of a of a. Of a oh, and Marlon's like, I would never lie to you. And Marlon is literally being fed through an earpiece these lines from Kristoff, this right. speech. And this is where it's so important because there's the unseen world and then there's the seen world. And people in the seen world are literally parroting and the mind control. We've we've talked about that's the whole reason for this podcast <laughs> is this mind control that we're parroting. We've and, got to break out of. And Truman says, do you ever wonder, Marlon, if the whole world... Do you ever get the feeling that the whole world revolves around you? Mm -hmm. And he says, ah, who doesn't, you know, who's never sat on the John and imagined being interviewed by Sea Haven tonight? <laughs> yeah. You know, and <laughs> it's hilarious. And then he. So he figures it out at some point there. And um, right before that, before he before this scene uh, where he's he's asleep in the basement, there's a scene of him looking into the mirror in the morning and they're worried about him. They're worried that um, that he's that he going to do something crazy or that he knows. 
and and so you've got the producers watching him and they're he's looking he's looking in the mirror and and they say do you think he see, do you think he sees us is he on to us they're asking the question and that's the epic scene where he set, he he draws a circle around himself with the soap and turns it into a spaceman helmet and does like a a little monologue uh, play act of landing on the moon or claiming a claiming a new planet that he calls Trumania and he draws a flag and he and he does the whistling and then what does he say right after he he's done he looks right in the mirror and he says that one was free that was free and then he, he goes away and the the show watcher not the show but the production the the guys you know, kind of the director's assistants. It's played by Paul Giamatti, who I don't know if this was before he kind of made the A-list or not, but yeah. Paul Giamatti is there and, and he says, oh, he's back to his back old self. Back to his old self. He, and so he he sets the, these people at ease, that thinking that he's going to go along with the show. And then he goes down into the basement and he has a reason to be sleeping in the basement because his wife has left him and all this stuff. And then you get to that point where, so he... Now, now we don't have the camera in his mind. It's clear. It's clear that he is an independent actor. He he is not controlled, even though the totality of his life is controlled. He is not controlled. And yeah. and, and what happens is the Ferris Bueller moment that you're talking about, and he has he has concocted a plan, and erected all these barricades to he, he he's. He, he doesn't know for sure where all the cameras are, right? But he, he suspects that the world is not the way it seems. And so he makes a, a, a brilliant attempt to escape it by, by erecting these um, barriers to the visibility of the bad guys. And he sneaks out through the closet. And then, of course, Marlon comes over and does the whole, he yeah. continues to act. And Marlon finds the hole, climbs up through the through the hole in the grass, looks straight into the camera. This is still on live TV and says, he's gone. <laughs> and and then, then they cut. And then Christoph is like, cut transmission, cut but transmission. I think <laughs> what, when you're talking about what kind of set him off, obviously it was a series of events. Yeah. But I think when they're sitting on that bridge and Truman says, you ever think the whole world revolves around you? And Marlon makes a joke, but then goes on to give this heartfelt speech where he said, you know, we've been best friends since we were seven. Mm-hmm. And he says, if everybody were in on it, Truman, that would mean that I'm in on it. And I would never lie to you. And I'm not in on it because there is no it. Yeah. And I think Truman sees right through that. This and is I, the point where he makes the... He, he's, he's not... He's resolved to continue to um, to explore. He's, he's gotten over his fear of the water, which the water is a huge symbol. But he, it's a, it's a cosmic symbol. It's the, in the ancient world, when you would look up at the sky, the night sky was the great deep. It is an ocean in the sky. And so you were literally encapsulated by the firmament or the waters, mm-hmm. the dome of the sky. We were trapped here by that. So that is, these guys know their stuff. Somebody, the guys, the guys that wrote this and that produced it, they knew exactly what they're talking about. But anyway, so there's some point where he s- switches from from an increasing curiosity and a, and a diligent search to a total commitment to to it. His and it, fear and, 
of death has gone from him. And there's a, a dialogue where he's on the phone. You remember he sells insurance and he's, he's, Oh yeah, this is important. He's, he's, he's on the phone and um, he's on the phone and he says, you see, this isn't about, this isn't about insurance. He's talking to a potential mm-hmm. client. This isn't about insurance. This is about the great variable. When will death occur? <laughs> could be a week, a month, a year. Could be today. A sunbathing, mining is a sunbather, mining his own business. Stabbed in the heart by the tip of a runaway beach umbrella. No way to guard against that kind of thing. <laughs> and then, and then he's interrupted by the office neighbor. This is where he meets the new potential love interest, and yeah. he gets a little bit distracted by her. And he comes back to the phone. He says, "I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that life is fragile." And at this point, we see that Truman's, Truman's figuring it out. He's coming to a realization. Let, let us observe here that a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has, has the power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life, real life, and salvation. I'm reading from Lecture 6 of Lectures on Faith. Now, I hope we have some non-LDS people in the audience, and I'm not necessarily recommending you join our church or anything like that. I definitely... In fact, the way it's going right now, <laughs> just read, okay, le- but read just lectures on faith. lectures on faith is good. Uh, I I hope that you'll begin to look into what Joseph Smith was teaching, and uh, this this comment here in lectures on faith is super important. Listen, listen to this. He says because it has to do with death and the sacrifice and the search for truth, and when it says religion here, remember I'm not talking about a church. I'm talking about a uh, a paradigm of belief. Of a, a narrative, an actual reality, right? Let us observe here that a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. For from the first existence of man, the faith necessary unto the enjoyment of life and salvation never could be obtained without the sacrifice of all earthly things. Well, what are the earthly things? It's everything inside the dome. Truman's doing his absolute best to leave the dome. He doesn't know the dome exists, but he's, he's willing to sacrifice all of that. Okay, it, it was through this sacrifice and this only that God ordained that men should enjoy eternal life. Remember, eternal life or life through the eons in the rest of progression, in the rest of the cosmos, that is outside of the dome, outside of the, outside of the prison in which Truman finds himself, the cell, as, uh, as Christoph put it. It was through this sacrifice and only this that God has ordained that men should enjoy enjoy eternal life. And it is through the medium of the sacrifice of all earthly things that men do actually know that they are doing things, the things that are well-pleasing in the sight of God. And here I'll add the true God, not Christoph. When a man has offered in sacrifice all that he has for the truth's sake, not even withholding his own life and believing before God that he has been called to make this sacrifice, who called Truman? Wisdom did. The divine feminine. You, when, we, when it says God here, you guys, I know all you Mormons are thinking Heavenly Father. You're thinking a guy here. When I say God, we're talking about the great divine dyad of the father and the mother and all of the count, their counterparts, their cohorts in the hosts of heaven. Okay, 
When a man has offered in sacrifice all that he has for the truth's sake, not even withholding his own life, and believing before God that he has been called to make this sacrifice because he seeks to do his will, and he does know most assuredly that God does and will accept his sacrifice and offering, and that he's been that he, that he has not, nor will not, seek his face in vain. Under these circumstances, then he can obtain the faith necessary for him to lay hold on eternal life, or in other words, life through the eons, the greater life beyond the dome, the reality, the actual reality. Literally, we're building up to the point here where Truman has obtained an understanding, a faith, an idea, a fire in his mind given him by God, by the, by the true wisdom, that there's more to it, and he doesn't even withhold his life. He's, he's willing to sacrifice his life for the truth's sake, believing that there is a greater reality beyond. And so that's the point we're at. He escapes, they cut transmission, all hell has broken loose, and Truman, they find him crossing the great deep in the boat called Holy Mary, Santa Maria, who is the ultimate wisdom in, that we know of in this world, right? The, the representative of the Holy Mother. She is the Lord's mother incarnate. And he's crossing the sailboat and the Demiurge creates a massive storm and attempts to kill him right. they, as his last they, attempt. They can't find him. They look and look and look. I think it's interesting too. There's a, there's a line when they're look, still looking for him in the bedroom, down in the basement, and they say, I thought he was sleeping. They still thought he was asleep. He's back to his old self. Well, the sea is the last place that they think to look because of his fear of right. the water. And so when they find him in that boat, the same boat that his dad fell out of and drowned. Theoretically. <laughs> no, I think it is the same one. Well, no, uh, it was uh, not theoretically. It was a uh, false reality drowning. Well, right. Yeah. He didn't actually drowned. But I mean, I, it's the same boat. Though. Right, right, right. It's the same boat. It's, yeah. It was yeah, that same boat that they had to uh, scare him away from in the right. first place. So, yeah, he's in the boat and he's dressed like a sailor. He's got a little sailor yeah, hat. Yeah. And he's Truman is awake now. He's mocking them by wearing the sailor hat. He's showing yeah, them. He puts on the, the sweater. He's got the sailor fisherman wool sweater turtleneck and the the overcoat he looks like something from old man from the sea yeah and he's sailing this boat and christoph says where are you going and of course they they conjure the storm and it gets worse and worse and worse and truman says is that all you've got you're going to have to kill me and he starts singing what do you do with a drunken sailor? <laughs> yeah. So again, it appears he's lost his mind. What he's really lost is all his fear. Mm -hmm. He's saying, you know what? Kill me. And he's willing to sacrifice his you life for the, for the truth's sake. He said, I would rather, basically he's saying, I would rather die than live in your false reality anymore. Well, and I think he's saying, I would rather die than not know the truth. Right. So he lashes himself to the boat. He ties himself to the right. boat. And Christoph says, capsize him. Capsize him. And now everybody thinks he's going to kill him. 
people in the control room are now starting to question the morality question of the, this. Of you'll, the you'll, endeavor. You'll drown yeah. him. You got to stop. Even the, the the boss, which I guess his name is Moses, according to this transcript. Oh, really? I, I didn't pick that up. Wow. <laughs> but the boss is going, you stop this now. And, and Christoph pushes everyone away, cranks up the weather effects. There's lightning that strikes the boat. There's a tsunami type wave and it totally engulfs the boat. And he finally says, that's enough. <laughs> and the sea's calm and the boat is capsized. And this is a really, uh, this is where the movie's symbolism just goes through the roof, yep. through the dome. Mm-hmm. The sea's calm, and they're cutting, they're, you know, the whole world is, is watching. Watching, right? And they yeah. keep cutting to, mm-hmm. the, to the people, just, the world has stopped. You can do it. And the boat kind of flips over, and Truman's lashed to it in this. It, yeah, it flips back up right side. It never totally capsized. Right. And he's lashed to it, and his arms are spread, and he's, he's dead. The world thinks he's dead. And then he, after a minute, he kind of coughs and everyone breathes this sigh of relief. This is, a, this is Truman's death and resurrection. He's baptized, if you want to say, he's you know under the water. He's, he's dead and he's reborn. Oh, that's really good. I hadn't even noticed he's that. He's reborn and <laughs> it's a great scene. He, he's lost his hat, but he... <laughs> He kind of brushes himself off and he raises the sail. He's not stopping. He raises the sail and he's continuing his search for wisdom. He's, he's about to do it, right? He's, a, he's about to move forward. And then he, is that where we get the... Uh, he runs in to the... No, no, no. First, you have a conversation with the creator. No, that's later. Oh, is that after yeah. he hits the wall? So he, he's getting ready to sail again and the boat hits the wall of the dome oh, and, okay. and punctures yeah. the sky. Okay. And one one note on the boat, you've mentioned the name. The boat, they also had this this camera, you know, angle on the boat that showed the tip of it, which was an eagle's head. Yep, there was an eagle's and head. And I thought that was interesting because an eagle is often symbolic of freedom and liberty. And they keep cutting to this with showing this eagle's head cutting through these waves mm-hmm. and this and this tumult and storm. The, the eagle is also symbolic of John the Beloved. Right. And uh, after Christ's death, Mary Magdalene and John the Beloved kept up a tradition that was independent of the Catholic orthodoxy that de- that devolved after after Christ. And it was more of a Gnostic, more of a Hermetic, mm-hmm. more of like what we're talking about. When an eternal progression, Joseph Smithian type of a religion, and they they were the those that... Uh, that kept that going. So you, you both have a wisdom here and a truth figure in the eagle. Right. The boat, and, it, and of course it is Liberty too. Yeah. The boat smacks up against the dome because again, in the gospel of John, uh, sixth, sixth chapter, seventh chapter, maybe it's the eighth chapter. Then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Right. I have to. I'll find the reference for that. the The boat hitting the wall is confirmation. You know, Tru- well, Truman stands up and he and he puts his hand on the wall, which looks like a sky, right? Yeah. And he puts his hand on the wall and he feels it and he breaks down. It's it's confirmation that all of these suspicions, these intuitions that he had that something wasn't right, they're all confirmed in this moment, and he realizes that. His best friend, his wife, his parents, everyone he's ever known, it was fake. 
And so he has this, he, he breaks down and, and who wouldn't, right? When they realize their entire life is a, is a lie. And he has this moment, but then he stands back up because again, his vague ambition has become an absolute focused search for truth and wisdom and freedom. And there's a line, there's a, a walkway around the dome, mm-hmm. you know, a maintenance walkway. Like a big, it's like a big infinity pool or something. And he, he walks along this little path and there's a great shot where all you see is him walking on the water. Again, now Truman is a resurrected figure. Okay. I never saw that one. He's walking on the, <laughs> he's walking on the water and he finds some s- steps and these steps are painted like the sky, but the, the angle of the light and the sun gives the, him a this little is, shadow. This is where he's about to ascend. He ascends into the sky yep. and at the top of the stairs, after he's ascended into the sky, he has his divine He finds a door encounter. And the door has a handle on it that says, says exit, exit. And he opens it, and then you get the encounter, right? Yeah. So okay, so exit, I was a little early on the encounter. The exit, it's interesting because the exit is darkness. Beyond that door, after that door opens, it's just blackness. It's darkness. Yeah, it's an unknown. And, and Truman's standing in the light. Again, yeah. I think that's an inversion. Yeah. Well, no, it's, yeah, but it's it's unknown, right? It's unknown, right. It's unknown. Right. What, but this, this is important because in the hermetic traditions, in the in this narrative that I've been talking about, you always encounter the, the ultimate evil right before you're about to pass beyond. There's this, what, what uh, um, is called the ritual combat. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hugh Nibley talks about it as uh, stichomathea, which means trash talking in, the ancient, in one of these ancient languages. I can't remember which one it was, but there's, there's always a dialogue. There, there's a combat, but it's a dialogue between the, the initiate the, the prototypical saved man, the Christ figure or the Adam figure or whatever, and then the, the, the God of this world trying to keep him in this world. And here's where you have that, that in the Truman Show here, it's a war of words. He's already kind of fought the combat and right. won. So the sun, you know, the fake sun, is parting the fake clouds. Mm-hmm. And this, in this great uh, scene, this, you know, this heavenly... Uh, this heavenly scene and Truman kind of looks around, he looks at the door and then Christoph as voice of God voice from heaven says Truman Truman. (laughs) and Truman turns and, and, and uh, you know, Christoph says, who are, you know, you can speak, I can hear you. And Truman says, who are you? And this is where Christoph says, I am the creator. And there's a little pause. Mm -hmm. I am the creator of a television show that gives hope and joy and inspiration to millions. Truman then goes to the ultimate question. Then who am I? Huge. Super important that they would ask, that, that he would ask that question. These are the terrible questions. Who am I? Where do I come from? And what's my actual reality? And he's, he's, it's a question that uh, the initiate ends up asking of the wrong person who's going to try to give him false information. And, and what's interesting here is he doesn't, you know, at the end, he still won't accept. He gets a lot of truth, but he, he won't accept it. He's, he wants to go on and see for himself. So who am I? He you're says, the star. You're the star. And Truman says, was nothing real? Another important question. Christoph says, you were real. That's what made you so good to watch. Listen to me, Truman. There's no more truth out there 
than there is in the world I created for you. Same lies, the same deceit, but in my world, you have nothing to fear. I know you better than you know yourself. Lies, lies, lies. <laughs> there right. is more truth out there. Right, and right. And Truman says, well, Truman says, you never had a camera in my head. So he doesn't, you don't know me. You don't know me. Yeah. And I think that this little exchange is so important given what's going on in the world right now with censorship and how there, you've used this phrase that I really like. You've said that there is a famine of truth in the land. We are going through a famine of truth in the world right now. And things that are true are being censored. It's almost as hidden. if the world is having this conversation with Christoph right now. Right. You're afraid. That's why you can't leave. You, you love Big Brother. You need me to tell you the stories. You need me to help you to be happy with all of your friends. I control your friends. I control everything. Right. And, right. He's, and that's what he says. You never had a camera in my head. And Christoph literally says, you're afraid. He's saying, I know you better than you know yourself. And so I, I agree with you. That's this, that very thing is happening right now. Another, another way that I like the famine in the truth, or the famine of truth in the land idea, that's a good way to put it. But I've also pointed out that I think what we're experiencing right now is the carpet bombing of the, the American mind. You could also call it a mind rape. That's a little bit more explicit, but I'm, I'm starting to wonder if that's what I need to tell people, <laughs> is that your mind has been raped, because... The, the the ideas that have been inseminated in their minds are not their own, and they come from a, an aggressor that is not someone that, that really has their best interest at at heart. It's well, an aggressor that wants them to stay in the mind prison. Think, just ask yourself, ask yourself this, this question. Over the last 12 months, 12 plus months now, we're starting to, to bleed into beyond a year of this pandemic theater. Of all of these of all of these rules, protocols, restrictions, closures. Yeah, and it's not just pandemic theater. What about the election? What about the right. what about the riots? What about but the ask, Chinese threat and, uh, and the yourself, Russian threat? What of it what among it have you consented to? And what of it is what of it is actually real? Right. So you're you are being forced against your will to behave certain ways and to believe against your will certain things. Right. I and know only, you better than you know yourselves. You will own nothing and you will right. be and happy. Right, only the people that are willing to admit there are five lights are the ones that are going to get um, to, to, to get the uh, accolades and the, and the good things in life. Uh, go back and listen to our episode entitled five, or Four Lights. Literally, they're trying to, they're trying to um, push to the forefront and uh, congratulate all the people who are willing to parrot the narrative and say that two plus two equals five, that we're literally seeing that en masse in the corporate media right now, where if, and I just saw the other day that uh, RFK Jr. has been unpersoned, mm -hmm. deplatformed from Twitter. They're looking at doing it with Facebook Instagram and all this other stuff. Instagram banned him. Instagram, yeah. He was, I think Instagram was kind of his oh, main it, tool. Okay, so they, it was Instagram, they, not which, Twitter. And, and their Facebook. I think Twitter has too, but he's he's on the way to being. Here's the erased. problem with RFK Jr. First of all, he's famous. He's the son of RFK. RFK. I mean, I didn't I didn't like JFK or RFK for a long time because they're Democrats. But it turns out they were really good guys, all faults included. They sure. were really trying to make a difference. Try to tell the truth. And the establishment came after them and killed them both. Okay, not lone gunmen. Right. All right. 
uh, one of these days we'll have to, I guess I'm going to have to find it now. There was a documentary done by some people uh, about how they set out to prove that you couldn't hypnotize somebody to do what Sirhan Sirhan had done because that was what Sirhan Sirhan claimed is that he, he wasn't in possession of all of his faculties. He was hypnotized to shoot RFK Jr. Or not RFK, RFK. Jr. RFK, Robert F. Kennedy. And so these guys set out and did a documentary where they took a stadium, not a stadium, but a auditorium full of people and picked the most susceptible people out of it. And then they took the very most susceptible of their, their sample group and tried to see if they could actually hypnotize him to shoot somebody and not remember it. And they were able to do it. They were able to hypnotize him to, to get under his seat in a, in a movie theater, pick up a, um, a loaded, well, a gun loaded with blanks, then shoot the actor who was Stephen Fry, who's a famous British actor, who played it up, acted like he died. And then he put the gun back under his seat and just sat there and waited and then didn't know what happened. They literally proved it was possible to do it. And so you got RFK Jr., who's, who, who's got to have a pretty interesting worldview, having had his uncle and his father killed and, and have it, coming from a family with money and understanding and links into the secret criminal syndicate, secret conspiracy combination, whatever you want to call it, that the oligarchy that's running, running the world, they have t- probably better understanding of it than most people because of their wealth and their connections. He has come out as a crusader against un- uninformed vaccination. And, and the problem with RFK is not that he's anti-vax. The problem is He's so well informed and the people that he brings to the table are doctors and all the stats and, and governmental agencies out of like Kenya and uh, India where they've had to ban the Gates Foundation from doing vaccines because they're hurting people, st- sterilizing right. people right. And, 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 and paralyzing people. Th- this is real stuff. His children's defense network is actually defending children right. because the pharmaceutical lobby is so hell bent well, on and, vaccinating you. And, and- Unlike, unlike somebody in his, you know, family position, he has no ambitions uh, at at political office or, or cashing in on his name any more than just getting his his what's become kind of his life's work out there. He he doesn't seem the type uh, to have a lot of personal personal ambition and 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 greed and uh, wanting to be in the. He's spotlight. already wealthy, R- right? And. <laughs> So yeah, he's an interesting guy, and he's got a lot of really poignant ideas. And he anyway, kind of has a gravelly voice because he has a a, a a condition, and so he can be hard to listen to for a long time. But he speaks truth, and he's his voice is being silenced again. We've every week there's somebody new. Uh, LifeSite News got deplatformed by YouTube. LifeSite News is a pro-life uh, uh, news network affiliations with you know christian and catholic groups they have they had over three hundred thousand people on youtube and their site just got got deleted right these aren't like small outfits like rfk jr has like half a million followers Mm -hmm. on instagram and the point is he gets unpersoned because he is willing to argue with christoph right he's like see in, in this scenario in the truman show Christoph says, kind of tries to, he tries to coax Truman back in. One thing that's missing from this film that if it were made today would definitely, probably, definitely, probably. Definitely. 
Probably. that would be in the film is one thing that's absent is the presence of violence. So Truman, they use sort of... Well, you get the violence at the end with the storm, for sure. For sure there, but they still use that as a sort of act of God. What I'm saying is you don't have men with guns who force Truman back into his home. Well, you, you had the episode at the the, the nuclear the plant, plant where they jump on him. That and was they, kind of bumbling. And, no, and again, nobody, nobody really bloodied his face. And again, nobody, it was done under pretense of, hey, you can't be here. There's, we're, 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 trying we're to still pro- trying to protect you. Protect you from this nuclear yeah. waste. If you do it again, we might have to press charges. You know, right. But that, the, the, I think the reason that you don't see the violence is because the story is about just Truman. It's not like sure. there are other people. Right. But I think your, your point is that, the, that violence is a, a significant aspect of the you will obey and the beatings will persist until morale improves. Right. Idea. So I, I think at this point in the real world, our world, whether it's real or not, our world at this point where we're about to walk out the door and leave the, the dome... That's mm-hmm. when you get unpersoned. That's when you get censored and silenced. That's where the violence starts to kick in. That's where the threats of well, violence start to yeah. kick in. The the establishment is not going to be able to maintain, and this, this is, again, a subject for another time, but uh, you could go back and review our podcast entitled Avalanche. But w- we've seen this historically. For, in order for the type of mind control and, and thought and speech control that they are obviously angling for to take real hold in the country, they will need to do as Stalin and Mao did and kill millions of people, like 20 to 100 million people. Estimates range from, you know, 50 to 150 million people total between those two guys. And they, they literally had to kill all the dissenters because you can't have people running around saying truth and you can't have them disagreeing with the mouthpieces of the, of the state. And the only people that are allowed to persist are the ones that are willing to go along with it, whether they actually believe it or not. Those who are willing to continue to act. Right. So here at the end, Kristoff says, you belong here with me. And says, talk to me, say something and he kind of... Wait, 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 wait. Before, before that, okay, so he says, you're afraid. That's why you can't leave. And then he pauses. You can't leave. Truman goes to leave. And he's like, you can't leave, Truman. You belong here with me. But then you get the wisdom figure, Sylvia, who, who it cuts to her. She's, yeah, she's, she's, she's watching, cheering, she's watching she's on TV. She's cheering for him. And she, she's she, the reason why he's on the boat. Well, there's a significant thing that happens right here. She prays she to God. She prays and says, please, God. And I think it's the only mention of God in the whole film because tr- there's no church and religion in Sea Haven that we see anymore. No, no. And Christoph doesn't say he's there the are creator. Nuns. He, there are nuns on the, bu- on the bus. And yeah. he says, hello, sisters. <laughs> and the, cre- <laughs> the creator, uh, the, that, uh, that part where uh, right at the start of this conversation, he says, he says, I am the creator of a television show. It, it, they, they hint at it. So right here in this particular scene, right. you get both gods. You get the false god, and he, he, he lets you know he's created a television show. He's not the real creator. But you're safe here. So there, there's so much truth they're exposing. And so you're right. It's a really good thing to point out. And she prays to God. She says, 
please God. And then he, she says to Truman, you can do it. It gives me kind of chills to think of this because <laughs> we all have this. We all have this fire inside of us. And they, they those, the real fans, and, and, and it keeps cutting back and forth between Truman and uh, Christoph and uh, Sylvia oh, yeah. and then the fans. The and fans. the fans want him to get out. The yeah, fans this, are cheering for this him. This was significant because the fans know that if he gets out, the show will end. And this source of entertainment, and for some of them, they're, they're living and their identity. Some of yeah. them have, you know, there's all of these barnacle uh, businesses, you know, these, yeah. this bar, that those two waitresses, <laughs> right? This is the Truman Bar. Yeah. And, but they're rooting for him because they know, they know that he deserves what they have. Right, and I think that's why I would call the uh, the fans, the audience, the the chorus or the angel chorus, because they ultimately want what's best f- for Truman, and they're cheering him on. <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading the transcript here, and the ending is, the ending is so on point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so should we go there? Yeah. So true. Well. He sa- she says, you can do it. And, and Christoph says, talk to me. He says, you're live to the whole world. And, and Truman, 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 for the first time in his whole life, becomes a performer. Yeah. And he says, because this is kind of his, his trademark line that he uses throughout the, you know, through his life. He turns around and he looks He's up, about to go somewhere. He looks up in the sky and he says, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And then he, he bows dramatically and walks into the darkness. Yeah, walks through the portal <laughs> into then, the real world. And everyone cheers. Yep. And then... Then that's it. Yeah, that's the end of the transmission. The and then you cut to the security guards, and the guy says, you want another slice? Yeah. Well, what else is on? I don't know. I'll get the TV guide. <laughs> yeah. And just like that, they move it. on. Yeah, they're, they're going to watch something else. <laughs> and just that little scene is a little commentary on how we get so wrapped up in things that don't matter right we get we're distracted we get distracted so at the same time the fans these guys you would you want to place them with the angel chorus right the ones that are cheering for him but at at the end of the day we're back to non-player characters we're back to right. what the, other programming what, can what we other programming can we the, yeah. the one exception is sylvia who puts her coat on and runs to right. truman and we never see that reunion right we ne- or that we never see them. We never see anything beyond the dome, mm-hmm. actually, other than the fans' little little homes or wherever they watch the show. But she runs to him, and she lives in Hollywood. Right? Clear, clearly, she's getting on her coat to go right. see Right, she's going to go find yeah. Truman. And, I mean, who knows, right? He might have walked out of that uh, door and gotten bludgeoned over the head by security or something. <laughs> well, I think it's great but that they leave it unsaid. They leave, they leave it unsaid. Because we, your mind can fill in all the gaps. We don't need to see that. The point, because yeah. the point is what Truman said earlier in the film, that, that death is the great variable. We could alter that and say that life is the great variable. Living life is the great variable. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't. And that's, that's the beauty of it how's it going to end right right the the forces of darkness have put forth their genius masterstroke in 2020 who would have thought they would be so effective at disrupting humanity at 
isolating us all, making us all each into our own little, even more constricted Truman shows, where, where we're now hyper-focused on the, the control mechanism that's coming through the screens, the telescreens in 1984, or the, the Sea Haven world created by Christoph. We, we've opted into this and allowed ourselves to be it. We could leave at any time if we had more than a vague ambition, right? Right. The, remember, a year ago, the only live television for about three months was news people telling us to stay in our homes and to be afraid. There were no live You're afraid. Sports. That's were, why you can't leave. There were no live anything. You belong here with me. There's a there's so much in this film. There's a there's a Truman's favorite movie. Remember his his wife wants to pacify him. So his wife and his mother are going off to talk about birthday plans. Oh, they, and they're they're the main controllers. <laughs> keepers. Yeah. They're the, they're his handlers. They had just got done reminding him how awesome his life is by looking at a photo album. That's where he sees his wife with the crossed fingers. Right. That's but hilarious. They, she says, your favorite movie's about to come on. Now, the world that Christos created is this very idyllic kind of, think about like a Leave it to Beaver, My Three Sons sort of 50s world. Like, yeah, superimposed like, on the 1980s, the, the, 1990s. The, the technology that the real world in that world has doesn't exist in Sea Haven quite the same way. Like his, his TV's an old boxy... Right, and he's gonna. And he's about was, to watch a, a sh- an old school type of a but TV the show. Show he wants to watch is "Show Me the Way Home." Right, another little bit of symbolism where Truman's trying to get home to his real home, his tr- the the home for a true man. Right, and so the the narrative masters in his world have taken his desire to come home and refocused it on Sea Haven to try and keep him in the box. Right. Right now, we are being told to stay in the box, quite literally. Mm-hmm. Stay in your home. Your home is a box. I'm looking at this room we're in now. It's a box. <laughs> it's a box. We're being told that it's not safe out there. It, and you're afraid. You can't leave. Yeah, be you very afraid. Inside the box, inside the dome with me, you have nothing to fear. Except all of these ways we make you terrified. It could happen to you. Lightning striking the plane, fires. Yeah, when it airplanes you, you, dropping. You parts. have nothing to fear by staying here, except that fear is what keeps you here. Right, and that fear comes from us telling you to be afraid of all of the things out there. Right. I think we talked about this a little bit, but look at look at how much fear is being employed in the world. Like right now, I hope that everybody will recognize this and start to talk about it with their friends and their their legislators specifically because the whole reason that they have the National Guard and the the barbed wire and the fences in Washington, D.C. right now is not because there's a credible threat from the right wing or something like that. It's because they need to make your legislators fearful. It's all for them. It's all to create fear so that they will pass bad laws that further tighten the noose around our necks, that further constrict us and, and shrink the box in which we live. The fear is for them specifically, and, and the fear is always employed more for the mid-level managers and the managers. The propaganda in any war, in any institutional organization, they have to propagandize and train the managers first, and, and then they can go out and 
impose their will upon the masses. I don't know if you, those of you that have read 1984 recognize this, but Winston is a party member. He is... An upperclassman. He is carefully managed, and they really don't care that much about the proletariat, but they care specifically about the party members and the people that control the levers of power and that control the mouthpieces for the levers of power. In Truman's world, that's Marlin, that's Merrill, and that's his mother. Those are the three principles. They even call them the, the principles and then the extras. And, and mm-hmm. on a film, the principles are the, the speaking actors, the actors with that are going to get their name in the credits and not just, you know, bus mm-hmm. driver, bus driver one. Mm-hmm. You still get your name in the credits, but you don't necessarily have a speaking part. Mm-hmm. Marlon, Merrill, and his mother are the three people who are the, are the, the principal actors, the principal controllers who keep him uh, satiated in the, in the reality that he's living in. Mm-hmm. And, Ultimately, they fail because truth prevails, and all of us have that innate desire to to explore our own divine potential and our own divine nature. That's that thing inside you that makes you want to be something different and better and and bigger. It's that desire to you know change the world. Or, There's your divine wisdom right there. Right. Right. You each have that. So don't quiet it. Don't deny it, but explore it and you've, figure out who you are. You have run into her at different points in your life and you've you've backed off from it at different points in your life. But you need to explore it and and escape because in the end she sets you free. She's the driving force that that makes you free. Right. So seek seek wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, Exactly. Ask the gods that give to all men liberally, and they don't reproach you for it. They don't get mad at you for asking. They don't get mad at you for the journey. They don't try to stop you on the journey. I will say, though, that the, your search for truth and your search for wisdom, will, you will encounter storms and rough roads. Guaranteed. Nuclear power plant leaks. You live in the Truman Dome. The, the dome is working. Fires. The dome is working to keep you afraid and keep you under control. Airplane cancellations, lightning strikes, bus breakdowns, actors who don't know how to drive boats. <laughs> All of the above. Well, this is fun. Um, it's a great movie. I, Go watch I, it. I think, I hope that you guys will take this to heart and watch the Truman Show and start to recognize all the world is a stage and you are, I hope a principal character and not a non-player character as we've discussed from video games. If, if you are be that person and, um, start to see how the, the world is speaking to you, how it's, it's trying to inform you and how there are messengers. They come from places you wouldn't expect. The fact that she's in the library is interesting. That's that that there is significant. It requires study and grappling with these ideas well, the reason, to come to grips with The reason with he encounters her is that he puts off Merrill and Marlon. And he decides to study. To go party. They want to go drink some beers and have some fun. Pleasure Island. And he chooses Pinocchio. wisdom. He chooses wisdom over pleasure. 
and he meets finally meets her face to face and they have their dialogue which sets everything 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 in motion yeah well I'm sure we'll talk about stuff like this more in the future in case I don't see you <laughs> good afternoon good evening and good night okay take care everybody Thank you.